0: The 2021 college football season kicks off this month. If you need to stay up to date on personnel news, including injuries, suspensions, transfers, and position battles, consider becoming a Tier 2 Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash edge For $15 per month, you'll receive access to our 2021 FBS team profiles, which includes daily updated depth charts, more than 10,000 individual player ratings, plus unit and coach ratings, roster strength, team performance, projected point spreads in each of our three projection models, stats, returning production, and much more. Visit patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge to join.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition of CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish here. I see on the Twitter for those of you looking. And we are continuing our conference preview series here today. And we move right along in the P5 over to the Big Twelve, while it still exists, and um, because we go uh, in alphabetical order, we start in Baylor here, uh, Waco. Uh, forty-seven is what we have them ranked. Dave Aranda earned his first win as a head coach in his debut, forty-seven to fourteen over Kansas. But Baylor lost seven of eight. Now nine of eleven uh, games to finish two and seven last season. We have them sitting at six and six. Uh, Their DK win total is five and a half favored twin in five town edges in six. We do have a question here, Nick, from our guy, CK. He says Baylor's receiving court is finally back from last season is fully back from last season, but Charlie Brewer isn't who is going to fill the large void uh, that he leaves at quarterback Baylor. And what do you think of them for the 2021 season, Nick?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that CK's question is, is uh he, he, framed it in a way where he's asking about the receiving core, but I think he kind of brought in uh, maybe the, you know, from from the grand scheme of things, the more important question, uh, you know, quarterback Charlie Brewer is, is no longer on the roster. And though he's had a little bit of an up and down career, he is, I believe the most experienced quarterback in uh, FBS college football. Uh, with 39 career starts, uh, to his credit, under under his belt. But he has since moved on, transferred to Utah. And, and you know, that's uh, significant because he was a, a constant presence at the top of the depth chart for, you know, the last few years for Baylor. Helped them win a lot of games. Obviously, last year they took a step back, and the offense was a big part of that. Um, so it will be... You know, interesting to see. Uh, One, they did decide, you know, head coach Dave Aranda came in, brought in Larry Fedora as his offensive coordinator. It seemed like a really good hire on paper at first, uh, but it obviously didn't work. But Aranda was not at all hesitant. You know, sometimes with a first year head coach, you might, um, uh, you know, not be willing to make a uh, difficult move immediately, but he, knew the offense wasn't right, knew that Fedora wasn't a great fit, fired him, moved on, and uh, brought in uh, Jeff Grimes from BYU to be his new offensive coordinator. And, you know, with, with Brewer leaving, you would have thought, okay, this would be a perfect situation maybe for, uh, you know, grab somebody out of the transfer portal. And and insert somebody that's got a little bit more experience instead of handing it over to whether it's going to be Jerry Bohannon or or Jacob Zeno. Uh, those two seem to be you know competing right now for the job, but they didn't. They went with what they've got. Um, and, and it you know I will be very curious to see how it plays out because uh, you you know the way we traditionally think about a team from one year to the next losing a very experienced quarterback. Is, is usually seen as a pretty uh, negative sign. So uh, it, it, it's certainly um, something that, you know, Baylor, if, if we're going to see some improvement from last year's two and seven record to, you know, whether it's anywhere uh, the, the five and a half projected uh, or, you know, DraftKings win total that, that's posted, that's a pretty significant improvement. So, you know, changing in the the schedule is a certainly part of it. Um, a second year for a head coach sometimes we see a bump is certainly part of that. But you know, the the consensus is, or at least the the general feeling seems to be that Baylor will improve. However, they have this big you know question at the quarterback. Position and and Bohannon, you know, seems to be the better runner. Zeno, at least in the past, seems to be uh, the better passer, or at least you know the most uh, maybe polished passer. Uh, in the spring, Zeno apparently you know really impressed. He was uh, the best in the pocket and a good processor, according to uh, the. State of the program uh, right up in the Athletic in late May. Bohannon, it sounded like, had a slight lead in the competition, though. Uh, seemed to do the best in uh, play-action situations, which are uh, a pretty important Part of Grimes's offense, and apparently he also threw the best deep ball, which was a little bit of, of a surprise given the feeling that Zeno uh, might be the better passer. You know, coming in, they've also got a true freshman they're really excited about, and Chiron Drones, uh, who I'm excited to see. Hope he'll have an opportunity to play as well. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a a quarterback situation that is kind of the. Biggest overall question, I think, for Baylor, but it certainly does have an impact on the receiving core and you know the the skill positions as a whole. Because two years ago, guys like Tyquan Thornton, RJ Sneed, Gavin Holmes, you know, showed a a, a lot of promise. And, and Holmes didn't play very much in, in twenty nineteen, but uh, you know, those guys seem to be a real strength of the roster. But last year just didn't really you know, it, it did not click. The offense did not click. Brewer uh, you know, took a, a bit of a step back. And there were certainly some injuries. There were certainly some other things that Baylor and, and everybody else was were dealing with. Um, but that unit was, you know, fairly uh disappointing. We list Thornton technically as the the number one receiver, though Sneed uh was certainly more involved last year. I think that that we could see Thornton uh, bounce back a bit uh, at the running back position. I'm interested to see uh, Tristan Ebner now that uh, John Lovett is, has transferred out. Um, and I know that uh, Squirrel Williams was the leading returning rusher, even though he was injured for all but 47 snaps last year. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if Ebner can kind of take that number one role and, and really become kind of a, a feature point of the offense because uh, he does a lot of great things, in my opinion, catches the ball really well out of the backfield can help as a kick returner uh, really can be an explosive kick returner and, you know, can, can do some, do some work on the ground as well. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, the, the uh, higher of Grimes, on paper, again, looks great. Sounds great. We know what BYU did last season. Uh, we saw the progress that Zach Wilson made. The more and more I read about kind of what the situation was at BYU, however, it sounds like uh, you know the the quarterbacks coach who has taken over now as a play caller was really very heavily involved in the game planning and the play calling. Maybe even more so than we realized at the time. Uh, so maybe Grimes you know, uh, might not be as, as uh, strong in that area as, as maybe Baylor was hoping for. I mean, you know, certainly he he still can be a, a very good hire and, and be an improvement for them, but uh, just sort of interesting. I've, I've seen that note or or that sort of thing referenced multiple times. I do like that he's an offensive line guy. Baylor really struggled on the offensive line last year, ranked 123rd in our offensive line team performance numbers, and that was part of the reason uh, that you know, Brewer specifically struggled. He was under a lot of pressure, got hit a lot, um, and uh, really kind of threw them off um you know off schedule a lot, so a lot of moving parts for Baylor offensively. The question mark, the biggest question mark being the quarterback position. Uh, but if they get that figured out, if the offensive line improves a little bit, I think this is a unit that will see pretty significant improvement. I mean, they finished 116th overall in our team performance, uh, offensive ratings last year, 123rd running the football, uh, 95th throwing the football. So, uh, I think all of those numbers can take a step forward if they can get to you know, top 60 in, in each of those categories. Now, I think Baylor absolutely would have an offense capable of, uh, you know, making a run at a bowl game and defensively, even though the numbers were not spectacular, they were, they were solid. Baylor was 42nd in our defensive team performance overall, 28th against the pass, just 76th against the run. Part of that was uh, sort of their situation up front was not, what Dave Aranda would normally prefer uh, schematically and also personnel-wise, they seem to have addressed that. A, a big uh, transfer, and uh, literally big transfer. Uh, Siakadika is is getting a lot of uh, buzz as, as sort of being the missing piece in the middle of that defensive line. I mean, he's listed at over 350 pounds. I don't believe they had a, a single. Uh, defensive lineman last season listed uh above 305 and you know that that was just sort of a missing piece to to sort of that three man front that uh Aranda prefers and and once you get that figured out then you can do some other things to complement around it but uh Jaylen Pitry is perhaps one of my favorite Overall defensive players in college football uh, plays linebacker, plays sort of a hybrid safety position. Incredibly, incredibly productive season last year. I mean, just you know, toward the the national leaderboards and in a lot of different statistical categories, was everywhere on the field uh, and really helped you know step up when Terrell Bernard, who like Pitre is a 100 you know max rated player according to our VGR plus individual player ratings. But those two guys at, at the uh, linebacker position might be, you know, one of the best duos in college football. Uh, certainly in the Big 12, they have four starters returning in the secondary. And even though they were missing, you know, some some uh, ideal personnel up front, they do return two starters up front as well. So a defense that I think showed a lot of promise is looking a little bit more like what Aranda would would ultimately like to run. And then with some, you know, just really solid players that he inherited as well, uh, I, I think that they, you know, will, will be a top 25 type defense this year. So if, if you know, you couple that with an improving offense, I, I do think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. Uh, they should should uh, open up 3-0. and um, Then, you know, once you get into to Big 12 play, uh, Big 12 play after uh, the Kansas opener, then it it gets pretty tough pretty quickly. However, I, I think that uh, you know starting three and zero if they're able to do that. Hopefully, build a little confidence. They'll be on fairly even footing with West Virginia, fairly even even footing with uh, BYU before the bye week, uh, and then there are some other winnable games in the second half as well. Kansas State, Texas Tech, specifically, we have them favored. So, though we only have you know five and a half wins projected on average, roughly, uh, I do think six, you know, six feels feels pretty good for Baylor, and that'd be a significant step forward. Um, and you know, I don't feel extremely confident to the point where I say that that you know over five and a half is a lock. There are certainly some things that could not you know might not work out, uh, and and until we see the quarterback uh, situation, certainly I, I I'm a little hesitant. But I think Baylor is is a team that can make a run at a bowl game this year.
1: What do you think, Xavier? Because I look at this schedule and you know it just seems like if you do bet this sticks. You're going to be nail-biting because mm-hmm. like Nick said, looks like they're going to start 3 and 0. The only other two games we have them favored in are the last two. So you have to you have to get a win somewhere in between those first three games and then hope they win those last two also, which I, Kansas State is kind of coin-flippy, but what do you think about Baylor for 2021?
2: <sighs> I, I think that this game, I think that this team with that 3 and 0 start, I mean, you're almost I mean, it's really hard to say they won't get the six games. Uh, you know, we, we expect them to beat Texas State, Texas Southern, and Kansas. And after that, you you really like, like you said, Scott, you're really nitpicky on what is possible at that point. Uh, but I like the game against BYU at home. Uh, it's also homecoming week. I really like that one as a win um, uh, for them. That's for, uh, you know, West Virginia, like Nick said, is a toss-up. That could be one that's also at home for them. And you know, then after that, you're really looking for one more game that you have to that you have to get over the hump. And when it comes to this Baylor unit, what really concerns me, and obviously you guys know I like to go to my concerns first, is that quarterback position. I watched that. I watched their spring game. It was not great for either QB. Um, multiple picks thrown by each. Uh, just didn't look like they really understood what necessarily they wanted to do in the game. Now that could be to, you know, Nick's credit. That could be to both the defense being as good as it is. Uh, but it also just looked, it was also some very, I like to call freshman or, or lack of experience throws in there, trying to force it in a double coverage, not taking what's right in front of you. Uh, a lot of throws behind running backs on, on wide open passes, things that you need to correct by the time season starts. And we're only what? three weeks from week zero, not even. So where you're really looking at these guys, you know, and obviously I need to see more footage, but if these guys have cleaned this up over the summer, if they've cleaned up some of the footwork and some of the, 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 just the lack of um, just the lack of experience that it looked like they had in in that spring game, maybe they've added to that. Maybe they've gotten in the film room and looked over that spring game and understand better of what I'm saying. But this revolving is probably going to be a revolving quarterback room all year. And for me, that concerns me in a conference where offense rules And you're going to have to put up points to win games in this conference. Even the bad teams in this conference put up uh, points outside of really Kansas. And so, you know, when you look at their schedule, yeah, six wins is absolutely possible. So I agree with Nick. Uh, A bowl appearance for them would not be out of the realm of possibility. However, when you look at the teams at which they're going to be playing outside of, like I said, really Kansas and, and maybe West Virginia, I think offensively they lack against every other team. And that concerns me because I don't think that their defense is going to be good enough or dominant enough to be able to win a game over uh, over a TCU or over a Texas Tech, two of which offenses have been pretty good over the last couple of years. So I think it's possible that they get the six wins, but I'm all going to say no to this. I'm going to go under their five and a half and say I'm much more comfortable with a four or a five win season for them, uh, which is still an improvement on Dave Miranda's first year, but I still think that they don't have the – that all that quarterback position for me is just really scary to be honest with you. It's and you never want that to be a a word you know as a connotation to your quarterback room as in scary in a negative light. Uh, and, and so for me, that's where they are. I, I agree with Nick about that defense though. That in that spring game that I watched, that defense was flying around, and I really like that. Uh, and, and up front, you're not kidding. Uh, Siaki is he's big. Like big is an understatement. I know he's listed here at 6'4", 354. He could he. Mount Cody was was big, but he couldn't really move. He can do both. Uh, And and I I see a lot of this is a guy who could play on Sundays. I'll be perfectly honest with you, especially at that nose tackle spot. Uh, But no, I think that five wins is what I'm comfortable with right now until I see vast improvement from that quarterback spot, because that spring game was rough.
1: Sounds like you did a little circle there. So you, mm-hmm. it seemed like you were going to push towards six and then you uh, reverted back to five and you're now you're not comfortable betting it. So yeah, yeah uh, you know. <laughs> I like the evolution there uh, in, in Baylor that that's uh, I mean, it's a good way, you know, w- when you start to really break it down, but let's move over to uh, the top ranked big 12 team, number seven, Iowa state. And just simply put, 2020 was the best season in Iowa state history. They were upset in their opener, but they finished nine and three and they were runners up in the big 12. Uh, we have them 10 and two this season, their DK win total is nine. So this looks pretty bettable. Uh, we're, we have them favored to win 11 talent edges and only seven though. And the question that we have on Iowa is yes, they're uh, in our power rankings. They're a top 10 team. Uh, they're also in the coaches poll and probably the AP eventually as well. But why won't the Cyclones finish as a top ten team here, Nick? What what would hold them back?
0: Well, first, I, I know that there's a, a particular team that we'll be discussing today that you like to ignore, but but Iowa State, in fact, is not our highest rated, uh, highest ranked uh, Big Twelve team. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, that's my bad. <laughs> Oh I I just thought maybe we were we were not uh not not quite ready to to discuss that team. Yeah, I no
2: that's fine. That's perfectly fine by <laughs> me.
0: But uh but no I mean it's it's you know the why won't Iowa state uh live up to these level of expectations. That that's a question that certainly is been you know has been running through my mind I knew uh well before our uh, you know transition from our uh, 2020 fbs team profiles to our 2021 uh numbers i knew iowa state was going to be you know a a a top uh, eight nine uh certainly type team uh was pretty sure that they were going to be number two in in the big 12 behind oklahoma uh and that worried me a little bit uh, I, I thought that perhaps we would be on the high side. It seems now that you know when we see a lot of the other uh, projection models coming out, seeing the coaches poll uh, as we record this on on August tenth uh, came out this morning, you know a lot of folks are are in a similar uh, area with Iowa State. Uh, one of the reasons that that I thought our projections might do a little bit, uh, or, or at least treat Iowa State a little bit different than some, is that uh, we do the individual player ratings. And though Iowa State is not a you know, traditional heavy hitter on the recruiting trail, and, and that's you know, putting it lightly, they rank in the, the 40s and 50s consistently, even after uh, some extended success under Matt Campbell. But because the way we adjust those player ratings to you know wait for experience to wait for production, uh, you know we think we do a, a decent job of taking some underrated players who've proven to be uh, you know big time performers on the field or at least solid performers on the field, uh, and, and we help them elevate their their ratings a bit. And Iowa State has a lot of those guys, guys like Brock Purdy at quarterback, Brees Hall at running back. Uh, you know, Charlie Kohler, tight end. I mean, all of all of them considered uh, among the, the best at their position. I know Purdy's taken a little bit of a, a step back uh, last year. Maybe he's not in that immediate conversation, but he's somebody who's very experienced, has has done a lot of good things at Iowa State. Uh, and then, you know, plenty of guys defensively as well. Um, you know, I, I thought maybe, okay, here's, here's sort of a little bit of a test case to where in – 2021, when returning production numbers are just considerably higher uh, across the board, across the country compared to previous seasons, will a team like Iowa State uh, be able to capitalize on that experience coming back? And, and uh, you know, it, it sort of remains to be seen. I think that the easy answer to the question – why won't they, you know, why won't Iowa state either win the big 12 or, uh, finish in the top 10 or make the college football playoff? I think it's because they, they lack that elite talent. Uh, and you know, uh, uh, uh the, Ah, uh, blue chip ratio is is something that's been a a talking point now for several years. But Elliot uh, popularized that. It's something that that we track a little bit differently, but very similar uh, to the way that that he tracks as well. You know, the the number of or the percentage of blue chip recruits, four stars or five stars, on uh, your roster. And Iowa State is well below the fifty percent threshold, which has been proven over the last decade or so since, since that number has uh, become, you know, a popular uh, measuring stick. They are well below that, uh, you know, percentage that every national champion has had. So even though Iowa State is, you know, consistently uh, considered among the best coach teams in certainly the big 12 and, and maybe across the country. I mean, I, I love reading those anonymous quotes in, in the Athlon preseason magazine and the athletic write-ups. I mean, all of them are, are glowing about uh, Matt Campbell, how well-coached Iowa State is, how sound they are, uh, and you know how they kind of maximize the most of, of what they've got. But at least in years past, there's been a level that you just have to reach if you are actually going to uh, break into that elite company of, of national championship contender. and And I do think that Iowa State could be sort of the team that that breaks that streak. I think Iowa State uh, has very, very few, if any, weak spots on the roster. Um, they are so experienced they had what like a dozen super seniors come back guys who were in the starting lineup uh, before they have the you know the nation's leading rusher coming back uh, all five offensive linemen coming back they have all you know all conference players at every position this is the first time in our our uh, preview series where um, you know the notes that we release to our patrons and the notes that we have available to us here as, as we're talking. Every uh, position, we have the the highest rated player and our our player ratings listed in each position for every team, and have little highlighted uh, to to match our our FBS team profiles. Where if they're a uh, a first or second team all conference performer in the past, they're highlighted gold. Iowa State is the first team that we've talked about that's had a gold uh, highlight in every single position group. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they are just uh, highly respected their players are voted to all conference and and they performed really, really well. So there's a lot of reasons to get excited about Iowa state, but I do fear uh, that, you know, sort of the way that we calculate things like roster strength, which I talked about Iowa state uh, being a a recruiting uh, in the fifties and sixties, but their roster strength numbers, because we wait for experience and production, they're eighth overall fourth on offense, 23rd on defense, individual units, the third best quarterback room, second at running back, second at skill position, 12th wide receiver and tight end. I mean, you know, they are, they are up there with the, the Alabamas, the Oklahomas, the, the, uh, really, really strong recruiting programs, and it's 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 sometimes you know can make me a little bit nervous to to think uh, that you know Iowa State's roster is that strong or that talented. I mean, did did we mess up? Are we over emphasizing experience? Are we over emphasizing uh, you know past performance things like that? It, it's a question that you know we'll find out sooner rather than later, I think, but. Uh, it, it it does worry me a little bit because we are really high on Iowa State. You mentioned, hey, this might be a bettable number. You know, I, I think it. I think it is. I mean, we have Iowa State as a favorite of a touchdown or more in eleven games. Not just not just favorite in eleven games. And some of the teams we'll talk about, we say, oh, well, they're favorite in in five. Well, maybe two of those are you know less than a point, so they're still basically toss ups. Iowa State is a touchdown or more favorite. In our official projection model, which was 54% uh, against the spread last year and, and has been pretty solid in the three years, we've done it. They are they are a heavy favorite in in a lot of their games. Uh, the roster strength number, the talent edge numbers uh, are you know only favored in seven, but three that they are underdogs are are less than three points, so they're right on par with with uh, a lot of the teams on their schedule. And our stats model loves them as well. They're favored in nine games uh, in our stats only model with two that they're underdogs against their rival Iowa by less than a point uh, and against Texas uh, by fewer than two points. So, you know, this, the way we calculate it is a a very, very strong Iowa state team. So I kind of have to, to, Uh, trust my process, (laughs) Uh, trust the process that we put into place to develop these numbers and and power ratings and sort of the way that we do it uh, that, that shows, yeah, Iowa state is for real. Uh, So I, I do think that we just have to go with the over that 10 and two for Iowa state is, is absolutely in the, you know, the realm of possibility is what we should expect. And they, you know, certainly have lost a game or two that they shouldn't in the past. Last year's opener against Louisiana being, you know, one of those games. Uh, But hopefully they will have figured out, you know, how to start a little bit uh, faster than they have in years past, come out of the gates a little bit stronger, because they certainly do uh, get better over the course of the season. And, And with such an experienced roster, you know, I guess fingers crossed that that maybe they won't have that early uh, hiccup this year and and give us a little breathing room because, yeah, ten and two. Uh, and that would, of course still, you know include an upset to uh, Oklahoma State or Texas or TCU, but you know, ten wins in the regular season, I, I think should be the expectation for Iowa State.
1: Xavier, are you riding along with that? I mean, just in my in my opinion, uh, look, uh, Iowa State is great. I think, uh, you know, uh, Matt Campbell has been talked about for many, many different types of jobs. So uh, he says he wants to stay there, but it it's a little difficult to trust a team that just had their best year. And uh, on the heels of that, but the roster strength is great, and like Nick said, there's a lot of all conference power here. So, what do you think of Iowa State for 2021?
2: Iowa State is the best team in the Big 12. I, I don't, I, I don't Ooh. think. The yeah, yeah, yeah. We could. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry, Texas, and I'm sorry to, to to Nick when we talk about Oklahoma. They're the best team in the Big 12, and for me, the, the reason as to why is because they're only going to get better. What position, when you think about Iowa State, maybe was a little bit lacking last year? Nick brought it up right away, Brock Purdy. I think Brock Purdy gets better this year. An extra year uh, under the system, an extra offseason to get uh, with his guys and and get reps in is is amazing for a guy who's a super senior almost. I I believe so. Uh, Or is in his senior year. And so regardless of that, or with that, excuse me, I think Brock Purdy takes that next step. And becomes a guy who not only is just a game manager and a guy who doesn't lose you ball games, quote unquote, but is a guy who can win you a couple of games when the running game isn't going. And I think that's what they were they were missing last year. You know, if you go back and you watch the uh, the Big 12 championship game last year, you really think if Brock Purdy was a better passer or at least a more confident passer, they win that ball game. You know, he, he in that game in particular, he was 27 of 40, uh, 322, one touchdown, but also threw three picks. You think, and, and he only lost the game by by six. You know, 27 21 was the final score of that game. You think if he is a better passer, doesn't have as many interceptions, you're looking at a, maybe a win for Iowa State in that game. You look at him in the game against Louisiana, same situation, had a couple untimely picks, wasn't great um, as, as well. And so when you look at, and so when that being the case, I think Brock Purdy takes that next step going into next into this year. I think he becomes a guy who isn't a guy who who's just a two thousand yard or twenty-five hundred yard passer i think he becomes a, a 25 touchdown kind of guy a single digit interception guy and a guy who throws throws for over three thousand yards this iowa state team feels very indicative of a team and nick you said they won't be a national champion and now i agree with that i don't think they're going to win a national championship this year however this team feels very much like the washington team back in 2015 that team ha- was led by a lot of senior laden guys this is jake browning in his second to last year if i'm not mistaken this is miles gaskin who they leaned on all that year? He had the receiving core of John Raj and Dante Pettis. This was a team that, in my opinion, talent wise, wasn't one of the more wasn't one of the highly t- or more talented teams in the country. But experience, alongside of the fact that you know their scheduling, which I really love for uh, for Iowa State this year, was not as difficult. Iowa State does not play a quote unquote tough game until November. Really, I mean, you look at maybe Oklahoma State October twenty third but their first maybe you know massive game would be Texas November 6th that means up until that point you're looking at a team that could possibly be 7-8 and 0 or a 7 and 0 excuse me uh, up until that point so for me you, when you boil it down to Iowa State they've got to win two games or they've got to win them all but two games in particular are the ones that we we look at as you know they're going to go in least talented and that's Texas and Oklahoma i don't see why they can't beat Texas this year sorry scott you know, I, I think they're better than Texas on both sides of the ball um, going into this year. And I think Texas, with all with the loss of Sam Ellinger and others, is is going to have to find its footing. And with Oklahoma, yeah, we saw what the defense did last year, and we'll talk about them later. So I won't give too much into it. Uh, but smoke screens are a thing, and, and I think Oklahoma's amazing defense down the stretch of last year's uh, of last season was aided by some, but was aided a little bit. Um, so I like Iowa State. Uh, I think they have two guys who could go in the first round of the draft next year in Charlie and Charlie Collar and maybe Brees Hall, depending on what the running back class is going into this year. I think defensively they're a, a defense that can shut you down, but they're also a defense that it, it, that can play tough against the run and play well against the pass. And, and you know, my my adage on this on this podcast is always that old garbage just thinks worse. Well, these guys aren't garbage, and they got a year older. And I, I think that extra year of experience – May have something to do with how good they play. I mean, you know, we I talk about their defense. The amount of snaps between all of their defensive players is ridiculous. Uh, and so I think, you know, uh, there's nothing. There's nothing to me that says that youth will play a part in maybe some upset losses, maybe them not being ready for the season to start. And they don't have any trap games like Louisiana last year. Louisiana was a trap game. We all know how good Louisiana was. I don't think a lot of college football maybe wanted to tell how good they were, but we knew how good Louisiana was going into that game. This year, they start with Northern Iowa, much different playing field. And, and I, I love their scheduling. And, and Nick, to your point about recruiting, they're getting massively better. Uh, this year, the, the national ranking and all of that kind of ebbed and flowed due to COVID. But if we look at the 2022 class, it's currently 25th in the country. It currently ranks fourth in the Big Ten, in the Big 12. And this will be the best recruiting class I think that they may have had in Iowa State history going into this year coming up. So Matt Campbell is not just taking, you know, undervalued guys and turning them into studs. He's also beginning to do it on the recruiting trail too. But I think Iowa State is what it, it is peaking at the right time when other teams in the conference are having some downturns. So I really like Iowa State this year to go over uh, their nine wins. Um, Nick went over as well. I think this is a team that can go eleven and one at worst.
1: All right, let's go over to the bottom of the barrel in the Big Twelve. And when I say bottom. I mean, we sink all the way down here. We have Kansas at 117. The next lowest-ranked team would be 79 in this conference. So Kansas is in rough shape. Last year, they were 0-9. Then Les Miles was fired for non-football reasons in March. They did bring over a good... Uh, head coach in uh, former Buffalo head coach, Lance Leopold, and he could be a major upgrade, but uh, their DK number is one. We have them favored it in two. So uh, two and 10 as their possible record, only talent edges in two. We have another question from our guy, CK. He says, Kansas would be completely unappealing, uh, but they were able to bring in Lance Leopold. We saw uh, the success he had running the ball at Buffalo. Any insight on the Kansas backfield with Velton Gardner or Devin Neal? So what do we think about Kansas for the 2021 season, Nick?
0: Yeah, it, it, uh, we, we have Kansas favored in two games. That uh, was a little bit of a surprise. That was uh, in our most recent update that we talked about in our last couple of shows. Uh, We mentioned that the the stats only model uh, took on a a little bit bigger of a a weighting since we we finalized um, uh, some statistical projections and some projected team performance ratings for this year, Kansas got a bump because Lance Leopold, uh, you know, we expect will be a, a big, big, improvement in uh coaching and and, you know coaching can only get you so far when your roster is 115th in overall roster strength 118th on the offensive side 108th defensively but leopold you know based on weighted team performance ratings over the last several years when he was at buffalo uh, according to our calculations is the 33rd best head coach in the country uh his offensive coordinator ranks 19th and defensive coordinator, 21st. So the coaching staff and, and those play callers, which are, you know, our play caller ratings are not very much of our, our overall uh, p- uh, power rating uh, equation, but it's a couple of percentage points here and there. The head coach weighs a bit more. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we think that the the way I'm thinking of it, at least, is Lance Leopold, I think, raised – the floor and we saw what, you know, the floor looks like for Kansas over, over the last uh, several years. And there's, I I think, you know, uh, we, we've seen a lot of guys come in and, it, and it not work people who've had relative success other places, but this, this time it feels right. I mean, Lance Leopold has, has, done turnaround projects before he's won national championships at the division three level uh has moved up the ladder turned buffalo into a consistent uh you know winning mac program last year they were uh one of the best you know as far as team performance goes buffalo was uh one of the top performing offenses in the country according to our numbers so uh there, there's a lot to like i think long term i think kansas being able to land Lance Leopold was about as good as, as they could have hoped for, you know, in, in any scenario. I mean, it was down to uh, between he and, and, uh, uh, Jeff Munkin, right. Or Todd, why do, why do I not remember which Munkin is which, but (laughs) army's head coach, uh, and, you know, for Kansas to be in that position, as late in the process as it was, and and to be down to those two as finalists, and to get Lance Leopold to you know come on board in what's arguably the most difficult uh, job in in at least Power Five. You know, college football. Uh, it's one of the most difficult jobs, just sort of the way it's been trending the last decade, maybe in the sport. So, uh, for them to to get somebody who has been able to turn around programs before, who's been sort of a a steadying force, who has proven to uh, you know get get teams to play at a little bit of a a higher level, maybe than their talent would otherwise uh, indicate. And, and you know, Buffalo did not recruit a ton of uh you know highly rated players even within the mac they did not um you know go heavy into the transfer portal for one-year fixes or, or things like that they was leopold and his staff was able to build that program sort of from the ground up and, and that's what you're looking for at kansas they have gone pretty heavy on the transfer portal since he's arrived part of that is because um you know they were a handful of players from that Buffalo team who were interested in, in uh, moving up and and playing in the big 12. Uh, Some pretty big names on that list. Mike Novitski starting center, uh, according to our individual player ratings is a 93 rated player. I mean, that's uh, puts him in, in the conversation to be, you know, an all big 12 type lineman. Now he he was able to build up uh, 21 production points over the last couple of years in part, because he was playing against Mac defenses uh, and, and, you know, Buffalo and and uh, the running backs there and, and the offensive line was grading out really well. Some of that, you know, might might be a little more difficult to achieve when you're going up against some better defenses, but still, I mean, you know, putting him in the, the middle of an offensive line that returns four starters, but also includes a couple of other uh, transfers coming in as well. It was the worst performing offensive line in college football, of course, is worth noting. 130th in our performance rankings last year. But there's at least reason to think okay, a little bit of an experience, a little bit of an influx in talent, a guy who knows what the, the head coach and the offensive coordinator want to happen can help, you know, kind of uh, help with the install process, help his fellow linemen uh, and other players on the offense kind of understand. What's going on? Maybe that'll, you know, limit some of the the learning curve that we often see with a first time head coach, especially one who comes in so late in the process, missed all of spring practice. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm perhaps looking for reasons to be optimistic, but you know, I I think that that's one. I think adding Jason Bean, transfer quarterback from North Texas he's, he is dynamic. I mean, he is, that might be an overused word, but the guy is, is fast and Buffalo quarterbacks didn't run very much under, under Lance Leopold. But uh, I have to think that he's going to look and and say, Hey, we need, we need to do something to get our most athletic guys uh, in space. They're going to figure out ways to incorporate Jason Bean in the running game. And, and certainly, you know, he's somebody that even when he drops back to pass can scramble and and take off. And and in some cases, uh, you know, turn that into a big play, 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown we've seen before. So uh, I I haven't quite got to the running backs from CK's question yet, but uh, they're in decent shape there as well. Belton Gardner, who he mentioned specifically, uh, did suffer a leg injury in November. The last, I saw a couple of days ago, he's not yet participating in fall practice. I, I don't know if it's exactly the same injury or maybe something else happened or something, but Gardner at least appears to be limited. Devin Neal, who is a true freshman and and one of the highest rated recruits that they've had at, at Kansas in a while, local product, um, basically just the perfect scenario for what you want is a, a, uh, big running back who, you know, grew up locally, can come in and, and, uh, play early on. It sounds like he is already in the mix for, uh, you know, first team snaps and, and, you know, could, could certainly be, especially if Gardner is, is not a hundred percent somebody who steps into that role. I, I was, Fairly optimistic at parts, or at least you know, pleasantly surprised last year. Uh, in in the couple of instances when I saw Amari Pisik hickson uh, he had he had a, a couple of impressive uh, performances. Daniel Hishaw. Um, you know is, is has done a couple of exciting things in the past as well so i think running back they're in they're in a pretty good spot it's just whether or not the offensive line will improve enough to create some running lanes for uh those players and and maybe jason bean being you know a threat as a runner uh, perhaps you know can can help a little with that if they I don't know. Incorporate a little more, you know, zone read type stuff that that sort of thing uh, than Buffalo had done in the past. But um, I think that grabbing some transfers, seeing a, a little bit of an improvement in the coaching staff, uh, I, I think we can expect some modest. You know, it won't happen overnight, but I think we can expect some modest improvement on the offensive side of the football. And, you know, of course, there's very, very, uh, what, nowhere to go but up, right? They ranked 128th last year in offensive team performance, 128th passing, 122nd rushing. But, you know, I, I think that this is a an offense that can move. Maybe it's just 10 or, or 15 spots. But, you know, maybe, maybe they break into the double digits this year in, in offensive team performance. I don't think that's completely, uh, you know, unheard of. I I think that the floor has been raised enough that we should see significant and and at least noticeable improvement on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, you know, I I have my concerns. There are a few solid players that uh, Leopold and the coaching staff inherited. Kyron Johnson, an edge rusher who's very experienced, 45 games played, 27 starts, uh, they're going to put him in a position to be successful, I think. He's he's a solid player, 92-rated player, according to our numbers. Uh, Kenny Logan, pretty good. Safety, uh, only at an 82 mid-80s in, in our player ratings, but I think performed a little bit better than that uh, last year, You know, led in, in multiple statistical categories. The... Biggest concern, I think, is uh, Kansas lost a lot of transfers, whether it was last year before the end of the year, whether it was um, you know after when the, the Miles news broke and, and they didn't have a, a head coach in place. Uh, they lost three guys who were starters on offense. Um, that doesn't even include Stephon Robinson, who transferred to Northwestern. It does include Andrew Parchment, who we expect will probably start at wide receiver, uh, for Florida State, a couple of guys on the offensive line. But the two biggest, or, or really three biggest uh, losses, in my opinion, are actually on the, the defensive side of the football. Uh, defensive lineman Marcus Harris transferred to Auburn. So you think, okay, that's a, that's a pretty talented player. Uh, left Kansas, ends up at Auburn. Caron uh, Prunty, who earned some freshman All-America uh, marks last year, uh, transferred to South Carolina. And then Elijah Jones, who started across from Prunty at, at corner, transferred uh, to Oregon State and, and is likely going to start there. So, you know, not only did you lose in all about half a dozen players who who transferred to other Power 5 programs, but, you know, three of those uh, were on the defensive side of the ball and specifically in the secondary left that unit really really shorthanded they were able to bring in jeremy webb who was a highly rated recruit coming out of high school or uh, coming out of uh, junior college i believe has been at virginia tech uh prior was at uh missouri state last season you know he he'll have an opportunity i think to to start there and that'll soften that blow a little bit brought in a couple of guys uh, on the defensive line from Buffalo and, and a couple of linebackers as well but I am worried about the secondary because that was actually a, a little bit of an area of strength at least from a roster strength standpoint from a position rating standpoint last year something that that I think Kansas was hopeful they would be able to build around moving forward and now you're kind of starting over a little bit especially at the cornerback position so they might be in in Uh, position to, you know, give up a lot of passing yards. uh, But if they're able to get some of those, you know, other new faces in the front seven to step up, if a guy like Johnson can, you know, be a a difference maker uh, instead of just a, a pretty good player, then I think there's room for improvement for Kansas on defense as well. But I think getting back to the big picture, you know, we have them favored against South Dakota. That's not a guaranteed victory. Uh, We do have them as a very slight favorite against Duke. And then, you know, they are about a touchdown underdog against Texas tech. That game is at home that, that might be their best opportunity for a big 12 win. I think we will see Kansas improve over the course of the season. I would rather that Texas uh, tech game be a little bit later, but at least least it is uh, the, the game after a bye week. But, I f- I think getting one of those two against South Dakota and Duke, you know, if you don't get one, I think you can get the other, and then circling that Texas Tech game as as your best shot. I think two wins is possible, uh, and, and our numbers actually, you know, two in the talent edge, two in the stats model, two in in the official projection. So all, all of our numbers point to it, and it's it's going to be tight. But I I. I think two is possible. I like Lance Leopold. I think Kansas will improve. uh, And I think it's about as good a hire as they possibly could have hoped for. So I, I do like, you know, I think we can expect to see some steady improvement over the next few years won't happen overnight, certainly. But I think this year they, they get to two, they win a game, they're projected to win. And then they surprise somebody, Texas tech being the most likely, but it could be Kansas state could be West Virginia you know, maybe Baylor should watch out in week three. I don't know, but, but I, I do think we will see an improved Kansas team this year.
1: I mean, Xavier, is there enough Pepto Bismol for you to bet, uh, your money on Kansas to win two games? Nah, I can't do it. <laughs> um,
2: Nick started talking himself into a doozy there. He said, maybe, uh, yeah, he started talking about other teams need to watch out. Uh, yeah, uh, Nick did no convincing on that one. Uh, because as as Nick was talking, I just happened to pull up their spring game, and um, yeah, that was rough to watch. I mean, hey, that, that was, was before good.
0: Leopold was there, and that's yeah, not yeah. that's not a great thing. I mean, I certainly don't like the timing of that. But uh, <laughs> things are you know things have changed just, since then.
2: Let's just put it this way: the defense is up sixty to thirty-four as I'm watching the defense, just purely the defense. They were playing blue versus white. Offense was blue, defense was white. The defense had about four turnovers in the first seven minutes. Uh, that, that was that was a rough. A rough watch. You're uh, saying that's
1: I, all on the defense and, and not on the offense at yes, all. Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. <laughs> um, but what I will say about Kansas is what you're looking for now is obviously progression. Last year, you know, the, the, and what I do like, and Nick kind of talked about it before, this is feels like a, a, a good move for Lance Leopold. I know that's a little weird to say, but I feel like this is the best. I feel like this is the uh, the first coach that they've had in a while that made the most linear The most the most linear move where I feel like Les Miles was a a guy who had all of this, you know, was highly touted. And he came and made a step down after being fired from LSU. Uh, You know, uh, they've had coaches in the past, that same kind of situation when they brought in Charlie Weiss. Huge pedigree came to Kansas. When you do that, a lot of the times they don't try to. they, They try to super glue it together rather than starting from scratch and rebuilding the program. You know, Nick talked about all the transfers that I left. Yeah, I guarantee you a lot of those guys came to Kansas for less miles and less miles only. And when when you do that, when you have those kind of recruiting classes that you do that, that that doesn't fix a program. It only, you know, papers over the cracks and gets you to years like three and nine, where, you know, that's cool for Kansas, but that doesn't ultimately lead to anything. as As we well know, the very next year, they didn't win a game. So, I like what Leopold is going to come in and do. I think that he's going to come in and bring a a regime that understands that he's going to be there for a while. I think Lance Leopold will be there for at least bare minimum three years, which gives you a time to work through the recruiting cycle of pretty much a a student's entire time at Kansas. You can take it from a freshman to a senior in in, in three to four years. And so I, I like the idea that Lance Leopold will be able to do that, that he's going to come in. He's already starting on the recruiting trail. They finished sixty third this year nationally. They didn't finish bot. They finished ninth in the, in the Big Twelve. That's kind of terrible. You know when you when you look at that from from a Kansas perspective, that's pretty good. Even when you look at the fact that you know they had the turnover from Lance to uh, from Les to Lance, uh, in you know in the middle of the spring. Uh, so I I really like what Lance Leopold will do at Kansas. I think he has an opportunity there to you know he's got nothing to lose. You, you Nick, you hit it around the head. There's no way but up at Kansas. You know the the best season Kansas had. I think I was in middle school was the last time that he went to a bowl game. So, and I'm 25 now. So just kind of give you guys an idea. Uh, you know, so I think that with, with Lance Leopold, he has an opportunity here to kind of make his I was name. in college. What year was that, Nick? You know, we, we you know. what you when was it, 07?
0: 07, they were the, they went to the Orange Bowl. We're, we're like number two in, in the AP poll at, at some point. Uh, yeah, Six, seven, I was. Grand. I was I was in
2: uh, I was getting ready to graduate, <laughs> and I was I was yeah I was in seventh grade or sixth grade one of the two. So yeah, I mean, hey, Kansas has nothing to lose here. What I will say is that they, you know, and what I like from what you look at from their scheduling, you're right, Nick. They I like them. Is it weird that I like them over Duke and not South Dakota? I I think I, I think I feel like, I feel more comfortable. They'll win win
0: one of those two, at least.
2: Yeah. Like, I I feel more comfortable with them beating Duke at Duke than I do with the first game of the season. I just think Kansas going into a game that they're expected to win just, just doesn't give me good vibes. Against Duke, probably people have them more of a, you know, that game as we get closer to it will probably be maybe Kansas by one or Kansas by three and much more, you know, closer than, like, Probably are, they're probably favored by more than a touchdown against South Dakota. Um, outside of that, their schedule sucks. I mean, they, they start with Coastal Carolina. That's one of their other non-conference games on the road. I don't like that for them at all. Uh, their bye week is rather early, but as Nick said, they do get Texas Tech right after that. It's also homecoming, so I think that if that's going to be it for your Big 12, you're absolutely right, Nick. They would have to win that ball game. Um, outside of that, you really – I mean, maybe West Virginia at the end of the year. Maybe you catch West Virginia sleeping. Maybe they are out of bulk, you know, bowl uh, potential at that point. Maybe they have four losses and they just kind of, you know, don't come out there to play. So, hey, you never know. It's college football. It's kids. You know, you something always weird could happen. Uh, but I like Lance Leopold. I love the hire, and and I, I would like. I'm going to keep tabs on Kansas this year. Kansas is going to be my UMass, like Scott's uh, UMass was last year. I'm going to keep tabs on them this season, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to see. You know, I'm going to actually sit down and watch some Kansas football.
1: Uh, I mean, uh, I think I wanted to watch one UMass game and it's because it was against Rutgers and it was supposed to be competitive. But uh, anyway, (laughs) let's bump over to Kansas State here and uh, K-State, we have ranked 63 overall. Um, uh, It was a roller coaster uh, for them last season. They did uh, have a week one upset, but then they beat Oklahoma to begin a four-game conference winning streak. And then lost five straight. So it was a really weird year for them. Their DK total is five and a half. Uh, we have them at five and seven. Town, uh, or uh, favor to win five. Town edges and only three. And our question that we have on K-State is, why did Kansas State move from plus one and a half to minus two against Stanford in the last 24 hours? Did we miss some type of development here, Nick? But uh, Kansas State is going to have an interesting year, as they always do. What do we think for 2021?
0: Yeah, I thought that was a, a pretty interesting sort of last-minute uh, question submission, and, and I it thought it would be a good uh, point, or, or you know, would help me to, to remember a point that I don't always mention, but I think is, is relatively important. I am not at all a sophisticated better. Um, I, I want to provide value to our, uh, listeners and, and provide value to our Patreon supporters specifically. Um, and, and, think we've done a pretty good job of, you know, sort of modeling, projecting certain things, but there are definitely, uh, things out there that people know that I don't, uh, and, you know, you. There are people out there who have access to maybe inside information or, or you know, things like that that, that I don't uh, try to keep my ear on the ground, uh, ear to the ground when it comes to, you know, injury reports and, and suspensions and things like that, but don't always catch everything. Uh, that said, you know, maybe there's something somebody knows that that we didn't out there. Uh, it's it's certainly, certainly very possible. I will say that we've had Kansas State favored over Stanford all along. Uh, it's close. We only have Kansas State favored by uh, even you know, less than half a point. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody noticed that we uh, have a pretty good record when it comes to, to having the wrong team uh, favored. Or when, when, when our uh, model thinks that the, the odds makers have the wrong team favored and, and maybe they're now hammering uh, Kansas State and on a neutral side against Stanford. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it is it's uh, interesting to see how that happens. And, and sometimes it, it can appear fairly random, but also maybe it's a signal of, of something that we'll find out later on about. Stanford probably for, for whatever reason that maybe they're just not at, going to be at full strength for that game. But um, as of right now, I don't have a great answer for that question. But Kansas State is, is you know, ranked 63rd, eighth in, in uh, our power rankings in the Big 12. And, and consistently, uh, even after, you know, Bill Snyder retired, they, they still under Chris Kleiman sort of fall into that category of a team that you sort of expect will overachieve by a game or two. Um, we similarly, when when Chris Kleiman was hired at Kansas State uh, a couple of years ago, those head coach ratings, offensive coordinator ratings, things like that, that I referenced uh, as to why Kansas, you know, and, and moving to Lance Leopold, why I thought that there was going to be a, a you know chance that that uh, we see some improvement. Uh, we felt somewhat similarly about Kansas State, and, and actually had a pretty good uh, record against the spread in, in his first year. And when it seemed like a lot of people were a little lower on Kansas State than us, so you know that's just a, a small example, of one-time thing. But uh, perhaps you know, tying back to, to what we just said about Kansas, a reason to to think that that uh, you know we'll see some improvement there. But anyway. Kleiman is forty uh, first in our head coach ratings. Obviously, had had such great success at North Dakota State, and though last year was, uh, you know, we use the word roller coaster, uh, but it was so, sort of a, a real, real short one because it went up, 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 up after the you know four and one start, and then just kind of came crashing down with those you know losses at the end of the year. Injuries were a big, big part of it. Skyler Thompson being injured uh, was, uh, you know, I think really hurt. He he was off to a great start. Um, they had, just like everybody, he had had to deal with, you know, plenty of, of COVID issues. Uh, K-State played all 10 of its scheduled games, but they were shorthanded a lot. The athletic, uh, Kleiman uh, mentioned in, in an interview with them this spring that, um, or, or uh, yeah, it was climbing. Uh, we had, there's a quote, we had 106 of our 128 that we started with miss at least 15 days. Most of them missed 30 plus. Uh, so they were dealing with roster issues week in, week out, and it seemed like they always had enough to play, but never enough to be at full strength. And then, you know, after the first few games, when you're playing without your, uh you know starting quarterback even even though there's some reason I think to be um, you know optimistic about some of the things we saw from Will Howard as a as a freshman last year. Certainly, you know the the uh, sort of national exposure that Deuce Vaughn as a true freshman saw one of the more exciting players at the running back position uh, last season. But still, yeah, they were they were shorthanded a lot. And it's hard to know I feel like we've said this dozens of times uh, since we started this preview series, but it's hard to know really, you know, which was the real Kansas state. Was it the one that upset Oklahoma? Was it the one that lost five in a row at the end of the season? Was it the one that started off, you know, and and got upset at home uh, by Arkansas state? They're, they're a very difficult team to sort of put your finger on, last year, and and as a result, it's somewhat difficult to uh, kind of project that moving forward. I I do give Kleiman and the coaching staff sort of the the benefit of the doubt. Um, They've done, you know, I think a pretty good job with one of the weaker rosters in the Big 12. Uh, Kansas State currently ranks 72nd overall in our roster strength ratings, 57th on the offensive side of the ball, and that that, you know, expects a healthy Skylar Thompson, and and that includes Deuce Vaughn, who took a big step forward last year. Also includes, you know, a couple of receivers that uh, maybe haven't fully played to their potential. Uh, Malik Knowles being that guy last year, who as a freshman in 2019, looked like maybe a future star last year uh just wasn't wasn't very productive either didn't get the ball enough or, or didn't prove uh that he could you know uh, be a, a consistent player um you know from a from a production standpoint last season but the offensive line uh, not great didn't grade out you know 99th in our o line performance ratings but uh center noah johnson was a, an all conference performer All five starters are back. Uh, They have six guys who played over 300 snaps last season. So, you know, some of that rotating guys in and out of the lineup a little bit. Maybe Kansas State was actually able to to build a little bit of depth. Maybe they're going to be able to turn that into a positive this year. Uh, My questions, my biggest personnel questions are on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, They lost some talented players. Kansas State had uh, only one guy drafted, Wyatt Hubert, but Elijah Sullivan was a longtime starter. Uh, A.J. Parker and Keandre Thomas, both pretty talented corners, signed as undrafted free agents. Those guys are gone. Justin Hughes was a starting linebacker. Uh, they also lost a starter uh, from the defensive line, Drew Wiley. So that, that defensive side of the ball, in a year where we expect a lot of teams to return a lot of, of production, Kansas State ranks 107th in returning defensive production, the way we calculate it. And, you know, you, you take into account that's from a team that really didn't stack up super high in, in our roster strength numbers on the defensive side of the ball last year anyway. So personnel-wise, I think there's there's a little bit of reason to be concerned about Kansas State defensively because also keep in mind they weren't very good statistically last year defensively. Uh, They ranked 88th in defensive team performance, 101st against the pass, 95th against the run. So, you know, they're going to need to make some improvement and they're going to have to rely on either transfers or, or, you know, young guys, newcomers to get to that point. And I'm a little bit skeptical. It looks like Timmy Horn, a transfer interior defensive lineman from Charlotte, we can expect to start. Uh, We can expect looks like two starters in the secondary Julius Brentz from Iowa and Russ yeast from Louisville, two guys who have, have uh, you know, played in the past and, and, you know, have, have real promise. Uh, But still, uh, you know, I, I I have, I have my concerns. I I don't always like to, uh, you know, put your hopes on hitting on a, a transfer, a first year transfer. So, I, I've got some concerns about Kansas State, and and I I want to default to giving them the the benefit of the doubt five and a half as that DraftKings win total number. You know, you you think consistently Kansas State is a team that's going to contend for a bowl, especially if Thompson is healthy, especially if Deuce Vaughn, uh, you know, can continue to be a big part of that offense. But I, I just I I don't really. Love how the schedule sets up, even though we have them favored against Stanford. That's going to be a a tough opponent. They play Nevada, who I'm already on record, uh, thinking is, is maybe the team to beat in the Mountain West, playing a very, very difficult Big 12 schedule, starting with Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, then a week off, then Iowa State. That's arguably the three toughest teams. Uh, in the conference that, that you're playing in the first three weeks, and then you don't even you know that that bye week uh, uh, going up against Iowa State. Yeah, maybe that's a trap game for Iowa State, but still, that's that's not a game that uh, I think most people would expect as a true upset spot. Maybe, but uh, it's it's going to be tough, and I, I kind of want to you know just just for the the sake of uh, tradition, maybe, uh, bumping Kansas state's win total, you know, up one, just because I do think Kleiman does a good job because the, the program consistently has been, uh, capable of overachieving, but favored to win five, the talent edge, uh, model, likes them even less at three. And then the stats only model a little bit of a surprise, but when stats, uh, and those team performance numbers are the only things that we take into account, only favored in four games. That's uh, you know that that's the one that we would expect Kansas State to you know overperform. That's the one that does a better job, uh, at least historically, of, of uh, you know saying, hey, this this Army team's pretty good. This Navy team, you know, could be pretty good. Uh, Kansas State and and sort of those other Wyoming's of the world. Uh, that that's where those tend to shine a little bit. And that model is is not very bullish on Kansas State either. So I I hate to do it, but I think the under five and a half is certainly the side I'd rather be on. And, and I actually am, you know, I, I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly confident in that. I I think five and seven. Uh, I mean, I think six and six is the ceiling, but I think five and seven are worse is more likely than not for Kansas State.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it might be worth just throwing a couple bucks to ride the roller coaster of Kansas State, right, Xavier? I mean, uh, they were so fun to watch last year as far as the ups and downs goes, but what do you think of this number? It's a tough one.
2: I, it's 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 weird. I, I don't really have all that much confidence that they'll be able to even get close to five so in, in some regards to their scheduling, but especially with Skylar Thompson, uh, what is his health as of right now? I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on if he's going to be
0: 100%. I think he's back. He, he, uh, okay. So he got injured. He had a shoulder injury in week three. Um, hmm. And I think, let's see, uh, showed great work ethic, leadership. Let's see what my note has here. I I think, he, I think he's back. Okay. Um. I, yeah. i I'm, I'm. I think he had surgery, and and uh, I'm pretty sure he's he's back. He might not be, like a hundred percent, hundred percent. But I think. Yeah. Uh. Let's see. So Will Howard took the first team snaps in the spring, uh, while Thompson was still rehabbing. rehabbing. Okay. But I. Yeah. I'm. I'm pretty sure he he'll be good to go week one.
2: Okay. Good. So with that being the case, I think this is still a team that concerns me a little bit. You know, you look at a team that I absolutely agree with, Nick, and, and you, Scott, you, you could bet on, and they could absolutely be a team that just roller coasters their way to six wins. I I, I would never, I would not be surprised about that. Kansas State finds ways to wins that nobody else has, uh, you know, that there's something in the Manhattan water up there that they, when, when they play at home, especially, they are a tough out. My biggest concern with them, and I, I think, you know, I, maybe people are really buying into the fact that. Like I said last week when we talked about the Pac-12, this is not a neutral site game for Stanford. I'm sorry. You're playing in Texas from California. That's not a neutral site. Kansas is much closer to Texas than California is. So I don't know if that has moved the needle whatsoever. Uh, Maybe, like you said, Nick, maybe Skylar Thompson looks better in fall camp than we maybe know of. That might be something else to add to that because obviously you saw the offense really take a hit last year when he went out, Uh, you know, to add to that. Uh, What I will say about their scheduling. You know, you brought up the off week against Iowa State. They had a bye week for Iowa State last year, too. They lost 45 to nothing. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> you know, it could go both ways. Um, you know, with Scott Thompson back, though, I do expect the offense to be much more improved than they were last season. The defense, even though that they did have some pretty poor outings in that second half of the year, they had some really good games, too. You know, they only get, you know, they, uh, against Oklahoma State last year, who I think was one of the better teams in the Big 12 they only gave up 20 points. You know, uh, I think just last year down the stretch without really having the semblance of an offense led to a lot of a lot uh, bigger blowouts that maybe uh, is really indicative of what this team is. Uh, now, obviously, with losing a lot of great pieces on that defensive side of the ball, you're expecting the offense to have to carry more of the load than they did last year. Um, and I, I'm hoping that Skylar Thompson can because I like him. I, I think this is a guy that plays hard. Uh, obviously, we, we've seen him put his body on the line for this team before and i like you know what he can add as not just a passer but his legs as well he has he has he's a little bit more mobile than people give him credit for uh so i think i like that as well my biggest issue with their scheduling is also on last year they had two bye weeks uh that really helped last year obviously with the with how weird last year was they were only able to get in a certain amount of games but having two bye weeks helps regardless of what team you are and what your schedule looks like um uh, this year not the case that fatigue situation is going to come in uh, for a lot of players this year, as I've talked about before, playing these, you know, playing seven weeks straight, many teams didn't do last year. Um, That's just not something that was, you know, for, for a lot of scheduling, you know, a lot of people played four games, eight games, nine, if you got to 10 or 11, you were either one lucky or two a G5 school to just kept taking games. So it's it's not, I do think fatigue is going to have somewhat of a factor going into this year. And you guys are absolutely right. This is a team that genuinely, by their bye week, could be one and four, and the season could be, you know, it could be one and five by that game against Texas Tech, and that really, that is really concerning for me because that, at the end of the day, that means you would have to go on a, you know, a five and one kind of run, a six and one kind of streak, for you to get to a bowl game or for you to get, uh, you know, to, to seven wins, and that concerns me because I don't think that's possible for this team. Uh, this team has not shown uh, the ability to be consistent that many weeks in a row, um, and for me, that you know, I, I do see them starting off maybe you know at best two and four in their first six games, and, and for me, that that's that's just too much that you're asking for them for, on that back half of the year to be that excellent when they haven't when they hadn't done that in the beginning of the year, um, and obviously we've talked about how things like confidence and momentum can mean so much in college football that could also mean for the uh, on the other side, you know, that negative momentum when you lose that many games in a row to start the season off, is that going to have any you know factor to them possibly trying to run the table later on? And I think it can, especially when some of those games are more toss-ups and you're going to be playing teams that are going to be looking to get to a bowl game in those matchups. So they're not going to be nothing games, quote unquote. Uh, so I, I'm going to say under for Kansas state. I think this is a team that I'm much more comfortable with five. If their schedule was flipped, I think they could get to six wins. I think if they had their first, their last uh, seven first, and then I think they would be much more plausible. But when you start off with with a two and four record, and I think that's at best, maybe three and three, I don't think they're better than Oklahoma State, but maybe three and three at best, you're really asking yourself to be almost perfect down the stretch. And that's asking for a lot from a team that that at that point in the year would have seen much, would have had more negatives and positives to look at.
1: All right, let's go over to the actual number one team in the Big 12. Uh, Oklahoma, we have ranked at three overall. After a one and two start last season, Oklahoma rebounded to win its final eight games, including a 27 21 win in the Big 12 title game to avenge its regular season loss. Uh, We have them at uh, or excuse me dk's win total is 11 which is what we have them at 11 and 1 we have them favored to win all 12 talent edges in all 12 as well and we do have a question from our guy justin he says what kind of production do you see mike woods having this year nick but oklahoma you know not only a threat in the big 12 but also a national title contender once again
0: yeah for sure oklahoma is a team that in my in my mind is one of the top Four teams in college football, is a legitimate national championship contender, uh, and, you know, deservedly so. Real quick on on Justin's question, you know, who's going to be that second receiver for Oklahoma, uh, you know, second most productive receiver is, I think, you know, a question on a lot of people's minds, especially if they're, uh, you know, CFF, DFS-type players. You know, Marvin Mims had such a great freshman year. Mike Woods came in, uh, you know, transfer from Arkansas, was a big play guy uh, for the Razorbacks. So he kind of, you know, seems like maybe he could be that person. I, I haven't given up on Theo Weiss yet uh, personally and true freshman Mario Williams. Maybe he's somebody who could have a Mims type impact. It's, it's a tricky situation, but I think Woods will continue to be a, a big play performer. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering you know, how well they're going to spread uh, the football around, but, you know, going to, to Oklahoma uh, more broadly and, and uh, Xavier, are you listening to me here? I want, I want to make sure you know this, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, that, uh, you know, I want, I'm not just you of course, but everybody, I want to be clear. Oklahoma has a good defense. Oklahoma, might have a very good defense (laughs) they they played uh, (laughs) they played at a a pretty high level last year right 15th in defensive team performance overall 18th against the pass 25th against the run
1: yeah i think the playing bad was more the aberration than uh you know playing good on the back half
0: well i mean you know sometimes we we get a certain Idea in our mind of, of what a program can be, and, and I pick on Xavier a little bit just because I, I he mentioned something earlier on about that he's not buying in on the Oklahoma defense, but uh, but you know sometimes and, and some people out there and and you know random people I'm sure uh, will when when anybody brings up Oklahoma as a national championship contender they'll say oh well what about defense or oh in the you know in the playoff they lost uh, by this mountain and, and all of that. And, you know, I get, I get the point. I get why things like that can be sort of a reflex reaction, but also, Hey, let's, let's learn from what we saw last year when Oklahoma had a, almost a 25% havoc rate. I mean, one of the, one of the top, uh, most, most havoc creating, Defenses in the country, uh, their their uh, pressure rate was was very very high. Uh, Nick Benito is you know, and, and I know people sometimes have a love hate relationship with PFF, but uh, has graded out as the top pass rusher returning in college football this year. Uh, Brian Asamoa is is pretty high on some people's list as well, and then interior on the defensive line. Uh, you know, I've seen Perry and Winfrey on some of those way too early uh, NFL draft mocks be a first round pick. Isaiah Thomas was incredibly productive last year from an interior defensive line spot can play a little outside as well, but had 20 production points uh, the way we calculate it. So that you know, includes things like sacks, tackles for loss, but also pressures and, and uh, you know, just just a, a variety of things. But he was he was making plays, you know, all over all over the field. so the the question I have defensively uh, is the cornerback position. they lost two starters, had two guys drafted, Trey Brown and, and Trey Norwood. Uh, and you know there's there's uh, maybe maybe a reason to to think that uh, kind of have to to see it to believe it that they're going to be able to, to fill those two spots. they also lost, Uh, Radley Hines uh, was primarily a nickelback, uh, as a transfer to Washington. So, you know, they, they brought in key Lawrence. It sounds like he, I think is playing more safety than corner right now, but, uh, brought him in as a transfer from Tennessee. A lot of people really excited about him. Jaden Davis, technically a starter last year, played over 300 snaps. We don't have him penciled in as one of the top two right now. It sounds like Woody Washington and DJ Graham, are both sophomores uh, likely to, to have those starting uh, spots, at least as we were entering fall camp. But that front seven, very good, potentially great. Number four in our defensive line uh, unit ratings, number seven at linebacker, number five, front seven, all of those best in the Big 12. And then, you know, number five defensively, uh, as far as roster strength goes, Overall, I mean, we think this is the most talented defense in the Big 12, and you know, last year they they showed that they could do it on the field as well. That out of the way, Oklahoma is probably my favorite offense to watch in college football. Uh, you know, Spencer Rattler, I think, is very exciting. had some uh, had some real strong moments as a first time starter last year. I think right now he's the right the favorite to be the number one overall draft pick next year and and you know maybe that happens maybe it doesn't but uh he's a guy that that is going to give Oklahoma nothing to worry about at the quarterback position uh he's very accurate throws a catchable ball you know some decision making up and down last year and I know he had the blip against Texas where he got benched for a little bit but uh you know he bounced back makes a lot of plays outside the pocket uh makes things look easy that that aren't Easy, you know. And as a play caller, uh and and somebody who designs an offense, Lee Ken Riley, in my opinion, is about as good as it gets. Uh calling back to the the question that Justin had about, you know, how will Mike Woods do? Part of my concern is they have so many playmakers, they can get the ball to a ton of different guys, and that includes tight ends, H backs, running backs. I mean, they they spread it out quite a bit. And as a you know opposing uh, defense, that is very difficult. As you know, what we think of uh, at least in in the last decade or so as being an air raid team, you know we're not used to uh, tight ends being a, a big part. We're not used to guys like Jeremiah Hall, who I, in my opinion is probably my favorite player in college football. I mean, a guy who can can line up anywhere, do anything, and just. Uh, you know, he, he can make plays, he can catch touchdowns, run them in, but he also makes blocks that go, you know, unnoticed and, and, you know, does, does just a lot of dirty work as well. That is in my opinion, just really, really fun to watch, but they're, they're stacked as far as, uh, personnel goes, you know, yeah, they lost a, a running back to the NFL draft from Andre Stevenson. They lost a, a couple of running backs to, the transfer portal one you know kicked off the team, but Kennedy Brooks is a two-time thousand-yard rusher. He's back after having missed last season. Eric Gray, one of the best, you know, kind of uh, dual. Uh, I mean, we don't really say dual threat with running backs, but you know, dual threat running backs uh, maybe in in college football after his last couple of years at Tennessee. A guy who can, of course, uh, do some good things as as a traditional ball carrier, but uh, can help in the passing game as well. You know, they, they've got playmakers everywhere. The offensive line has to, to replace Creed Humphrey, second-round draft pick, uh, you know, all-American consideration type guy. But they brought in a couple of transfers. They, they returned three full-time starters. They've recruited very, very well. Their average 247 rating uh, among offensive linemen is the fifth best in the country. Their average rivals rating is fourth best in the country. The way we calculated after, you know, doing experience and production and all that, we think they'll be the second best offensive line in the country. And that's including replacing a guy who got a lot of All-American consideration was a second round draft pick. So Oklahoma is absolutely, in my opinion, uh, the team to beat in the Big 12. We have them favored by double digits in every regular season game. We have them favored by at least 13 points in every regular season game. Yes, they've come up short at times. They've lost to Iowa State, you know, last year in the regular season. They lost. They've lost to Kansas State two years in a row. So they they are absolutely guilty of uh, losing games that they're not supposed to. So it, it would not, of course, be a, a shock if they end up losing one. But it would be pretty surprising to me if they lose two. So I, I think that uh, you know the the eleven. Win total is is steep, so it's I I don't <laughs> I really don't ever want to bet that a team will go undefeated. So I couldn't, in good conscience, say even though we have them favored in all three of our models in all twelve games that you know that you should bet that over. Uh, but I think that Oklahoma probably has a, a pretty good case, uh, especially since Clemson plays Georgia in the opener to be the most likely. 12 and 0 team during the 2020 regular season. So if they get, you know, if they if they slip up 11 and one, they'll still go to the Big 12 championship game, have an opportunity to avenge that loss if it's in conference. And you know, I I think at that point, 12 and one, the college football playoff is is a basically a lock. And the improvements they've made, especially defensively, uh, I think that they will be a formidable opponent. In the college football playoffs. so I'm I'm not calling for them to win the national championship. I have bet on them to uh, win the national championship, and and so you know I, I will definitely be rooting for them. But I think that there's reason to believe that this is one of the best teams in college football this year.
1: And Xavier, I mean, we already kind of have your opinion on Oklahoma, but uh, <laughs> go a little go a little deeper on them uh, yeah. against Iowa State in the field here.
2: Yeah, I mean, okay, so offensively, you look at them, and obviously, two words: Spencer Rattler. Uh, can he take the necessary steps for them not to just be a team that competes for the big 12, but a team that can win a national championship. I'm not sure of that just yet. We will have to wait and see. I, I saw a lot of good things in the second half of the season. I also don't really care because of who they were playing at the end of the day. And that's my biggest concern with Oklahoma. When you look at their numbers against talented teams last year, the only game in which they looked like a championship team was against Florida and Florida had what 25% of their offense. And so when I really look at their games against Iowa state, twice Texas and can and then I'll absolve Kansas state as their only loss, but I'll absolve that. They didn't look overly impressive for me. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to handle business against TCU, Texas tech, Kansas. I mean, you're supposed to do that. If you're a team that's going to win a national championship, you know, obviously, you know they had the slip ups to Kansas State, and they lost it, and they lost one on the road to Iowa State. But my biggest thing with them is i have never. I don't look at Oklahoma in in the, the the sense of a you know they're just their conference. When I'm looking at an Oklahoma team, it's can they win a national championship? And I don't think so. I, I don't. I think that that defense. I'm still reluctant to say that defense has made any strides forward until I see it against a, a, a team that I would put alongside or put in the top ten or in the top twelve in the country. Um, the secondary that everybody raves about isn't there anymore. I mean, Nick talked about it. The two top their two best corners both got drafted, and then one of and their nickel left. That's three of a, that's three DBs of a secondary that are all gone that you have to replace with two sophomores, and you know, your safeties are, are two seniors, but your nick your your third nickel is a junior who only has eight games started. So you're going to rely on corners who have very little to, to no experience playing big time matchups. And I don't like that whatsoever. I think up front, I think, yeah, I think up front is probably their best part of their defense, but am I sitting here, you know, if, if I'm an offensive coordinator for Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, they're, they're, their front four has not, does not have anybody on it as of right now that keeps me up at night. Now, granted by the end of the next season, maybe there's a couple of guys. But for me, that defense has so many more just they had a really good back end last year. And I think that's the overconfidence of watching a team play lesser talent and the situation like uh, in a situation in Florida. I don't mean to do this, Scott, but it, it feels like after Texas beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, the following year, Texas fans and people were raving about what Texas possibly had coming into that year after a great showing against an SEC team in a bowl game. Texas had yeah
1: and and Georgia didn't even want to be there so right yeah I understand that
2: and you're talking about a Florida team in a similar situation they had just come from losing to Alabama in one of the biggest and one of the best shootouts of of 2020 and they didn't care about being there half of the guys that got drafted on their offense sat out in that game outside of really Kyle Trask so when you look at it that way I'm still not sold on Oklahoma defensively. Offensively, I think Spencer Rattler takes that next step. But I will also say this. I think that for him to take that next step, you have to see a concerted effort from his receiving core, most of which are a little bit younger. You know, he's going to be relying on guys like Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss. These are going to be guys who have not played significant stats for more than maybe a year. And and so I'm really looking to see what that maturation process is for him. Does Spencer Rattler have a, a sophomore slump? I mean it's really hard to scout for a kid that you have only seen once or you're looking at his high school tape. Now you're looking at his tape from last season. You're understanding what he can what how you can beat him and you're, and especially for when they play Iowa State, which is going to be later on in the year, their two biggest games outside of Texas are going to be back to back. That's Iowa State and Oklahoma State at the end of the year. And both of those games, I believe Iowa State will be playing for a Big 12 championship appearance and Oklahoma State will at the very least be looking to spoil it. Those are two games outside of obviously the game against Texas. Are, are are huge in the fact of where they are in the year, because when you look at it at the end of the year, both of those teams aren't looking ahead to anything else. It's Oklahoma, it's end of the season, and they have one job. For Iowa State, is to get to a college football playoff or to get to the Big 12 championship game. And Oklahoma State, it's to spoil it. Or who knows, they may have an opportunity to get there depending on what how, how the season has gone. So for me, I'm a little he- more hesitant on Oklahoma. I'm going with the under. Trying to say a team is going to go undefeated is really is crazy. Uh, but I'm going to go with the under. I think this is a ten win ball club. I think there's one possibly two losses on this schedule. And like I said, and like Nick talked about, excuse me, who knows Oklahoma could very well lose on the road to Kansas State again. I mean, will they make it three? who knows? you know, so, and I don't know how Kansas State continues to go Oklahoma at home. I, I don't know if they how how they got that to work out, but you know, Oklahoma when all the chips are on Oklahoma side and everybody goes, well, this is a the year they just possibly can't lose. All I think about is how many times I heard that with Landry Jones and how many times I heard that with every Oklahoma team for pretty much my entire lifetime has had an opportunity to just run the table and more times than not they don't outside of Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield making it to the playoff.
1: All right, let's go over to Oklahoma state and Oklahoma state. Uh, we have them ranked at thirty-six they um had injuries and inconsistency that slowed the offense really last year but they only lost one game by more than a touchdown in an 8 and 3 year uh their dk total is 8 we have them at 8 and 4 favored to win 9 town edges in 8 uh what do you think about oklahoma state you got them as a top 20 team here nick so it seems like we kind of have to be in on them but what do we think of them for 2021
0: yeah, I feel a lot more comfortable right now with our Oklahoma State projection than I did uh, a few weeks ago. If, if you listen to our Pac-12 preview uh, where we talked about Arizona State being ninth and the highest rated team in, in the Pac-12, how I don't necessarily feel great about that, uh, I was kind of in that boat with Oklahoma State before the most recent update. So uh, we've, we've brought expectations down uh, a little bit, top 20 still to some might seem high, but, but, uh, certainly (laughs) better in my opinion than, than top 10. I feel a lot more comfortable with that, but you know, you, you mentioned a, you mentioned a a pretty important point. I mean, this is a team that won eight games last year and was very competitive, even in the games that they lost. They, uh, took Texas to overtime. Uh, I mean, they, they, you know, did get blown out against Oklahoma State, but lost by one score uh, against TCU. They technically, according to uh, CFB graphs, uh, CFB graphs.com, the the post game win expectancy there uh, were a little bit better than 50% to win both of those games. So they got maybe just a, just a touch unlucky to lose both uh, to TCU and to, Texas, and, and this is while they were dealing with a lot of injuries. Quarterback Spencer Sanders got hurt in the opener, missed some time. Um, you know, they, they were without Chuba Hubbard for a, a bit of the, the season. Uh, Tylen Wallace has dealt with injuries in the past as well. All those are, you know, Sanders is back, but uh, losing Hubbard, losing Wallace, um, multiple offensive linemen. There were some shuffling that, that the coaching staff did on the offensive line uh, when they were, uh, you know, banged up early on. That, that is something that, that they had to work through. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's in some ways fairly uh, impressive the way that that Oklahoma State actually was able to navigate last season. But again, you know I mentioned Hubbard and, and Wallace being gone, others as well. I mean Tevin Jenkins uh, was a second round pick, uh, could have easily I think been a first round pick. Uh, starting left tackle, he's gone. Multiple uh, starting. Wide receivers gone. Not only Wallace, but Dylan Stoner. They lost a corner, Radarius Williams, who was drafted in the sixth round. So a lot of talent uh, ha- has left from last year's team as well. Eight of the ten uh, starters that that Oklahoma State lost, which you know, or eight of the the nine, I should say, starters that Oklahoma State lost, which is a fairly high number in itself in a year where so much returning production comes back are guys who are in NFL camps. Four of them were drafted and four guys signed as, as undrafted free agents. So, you know, that's that's something I think to be concerned about. I think the running game will be fine when Hubbard was gone. Ah, uh, we saw some, you know, really good things from L.D. Brown, from Desmond Jackson, Dominic Richardson. All three of those guys are back, and they added Jalen Warren, a transfer from Utah State. I think they're going to be able to figure it out as long as the offensive line uh, is in a decent, you know, decent state. Uh, the offensive line did finish sixty-first last year in our O-line performance rating, so you know, modest, not not great, but certainly had its moments. Three starters are coming back, and they added a uh, longtime starting center from Miami of Ohio and Danny Godzlewski. So, you know, I think they'll be pretty good there. He was a guy I'm pretty sure is is on the radar of, you know, like the senior bowl and, and those type of uh, all-star games. Uh, maybe has some, you know, pro potential. He certainly has a lot of experience and, and can hopefully solidify uh, the center position and, and maybe the offensive line. As a whole, but you know they they've got some some things I think to uh, figure out on on defense. I mean, there are certainly productive and, and valuable players. Trace Ford uh, looks like he has an opportunity to emerge as one of the best pass rushers in the Big Twelve. Malcolm Rodriguez got all conference uh, honors as a uh, you know as a senior last year. He's back for his. Uh, super senior season, he's a 100-rated player, max-rated player. According to our projections, they've got two 100-rated players in the secondary in safeties, Trey Sterling and Kobe uh, Harvell-Peel. But also, you know, depth, uh, depth took a little bit of a hit last season. And that defense, some might argue, overachieved and, and helped uh, compensate for an offense that underachieved, but, you know, Oklahoma State uh, ranking 14th overall in defensive team performance, very few probably saw that happening. And, and even though a big, you know, at least a, a core of that unit returns, you know, I you know, wonder a little bit is is, are they going to be able to maintain that level of play? Uh, but they certainly, you know, they, they certainly could. I, I just, I'm, I'm, sort of skeptical, I guess, at at this point. But Oklahoma State is a team that is solid, uh, rarely spectacular, uh, but they are a dangerous program. Uh, They uh, kind of in in both senses of the word. I kind of have a a theory with some coaches. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern is one where, you know, regardless of what our numbers say, I'm tempted just to tell – you know our our listeners and our, our Patreon supporters. Hey, ignore our Northwestern projections. Just bet Northwestern if they're an underdog. Bet against them if they're a favorite. I kind of feel that way a little bit about Oklahoma State. I mean, they're they're a team. You know, against Oklahoma, they've certainly struggled with. But they they have a tendency to to play up to the level of competition in in some of their big games. But they also have a tendency to to play down a little bit, lose some games that they shouldn't uh, on occasion. And and last year, a little bit of an exception. I think the losses to Texas, Oklahoma, and TCU are, are certainly explainable, but we've seen in the past some uh, somewhat inexplicable losses too. So it wouldn't absolutely shock me if if we saw one of those this year. Will it be Tulsa? Will it be Boise State? Will it be uh, you know maybe a, a West Virginia or, or a Baylor even? I mean, somebody that on paper is inferior talent wise, uh, have an opportunity to upset them. So that's the biggest reason I was so concerned that they were, uh, in or, or near our top 10, but you know, top 20 seems about right. I mean, they're, they are solid. They lack the star power, especially on offense that they've had the last few years. Uh, but you know, I, I think they've, recruited well enough developed well enough that they've got players to step up in those skill positions hopefully spencer sanders will be healthy hopefully he will take uh, a step forward as a quarterback um and and that offensive line hopefully will will you know give him enough time to work with and and to be able to distribute the football but yeah I, i think that oklahoma state is a solid you know they're they're probably not in that top tier with oklahoma and uh, Iowa State even, but they're, they're very close to that. So eight is a, a uh, number, obviously, that, that we do predict, but I, I feel better about over eight than I do under eight, if that makes sense. I, I think Oklahoma is a, a solid uh, number three or number four team in the Big 12 and, and pretty close to that top tier, just maybe not, not quite there yet.
1: All right, so Oklahoma State, Xavier, I mean, you know, like Nick alluded to, you're not going to be shocked when they win a big one. Uh, you're also not going to be surprised when they lose to West Virginia or K-State or someone. I think a lot of the Big 12 has developed that, uh, you know, Texas drops games all the time. They, they love to lose to TCU. It's their favorite thing to do. You know, um, uh, we just have seen Kansas State beat Oklahoma two years in a row. So uh, what what are you thinking on Oklahoma State for 2021?
2: Yeah, this team has to replace a lot of talent. So that's first and foremost, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You lose uh, Chuba Hubbard, Tevin Jenkins, Tylan Wallace. Yeah, but that's a lot of talent to be losing in the year prior, especially when Spencer Sanders last year, you really felt like he took a step backwards. Now, granted, that could have been due to the injury that he sustained earlier on the year, but you didn't think Spencer Sanders just didn't maybe maximize the type of the kind of talent that he had around him. Uh, you know, last year, I think I came into uh, talking about Oklahoma State as one of those teams that were a sleeper to win the Big 12 last year because of the amount of offensive talent that they had last season. Um, and he just didn't really pre- take that next step in his sophomore year. Maybe that I thought he would do. You know, last year, 2,000 yards, 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions. That's not a great year, um, especially after year one. I mean, he pretty much had a worse year one than he, or excuse me, worse year two than he did year one. So I'm expecting him to take a step forward. You know, it that it, it could only be like, you know, 500, 600 more yards, you know, 20 touchdowns and, and single digit interceptions. But I think that would go a long way in helping this Oklahoma State team get over that uh, eight-win margin that they have. Uh, and I think, that's, I think it's more than possible. Uh, the offensively, although they lost all that talent, outside of really the offensive line, I'm not really concerned about the skill positions. I think the skill positions at, at Oklahoma State, they continue to kind of re, uh, revitalize that position every year or two years. So, and I really like LD Brown, so I don't think they lose anything there. On top of that, especially at the running back position, they're really uh, they're really old, quote unquote. They have a lot of that. That running back room is pretty much seniors um, outside of Dominic Richardson and Jaden Nixon. At the receiving core, Braden Johnson and, and Brendan Presley will have to you know do the job of making up for Tyler Wallace. But let's be perfectly honest, Tyler Wallace didn't have a great year last year either. Once again, now that he was you know he was a little bit hobbled into injuries, he was in and out uh, of the. Uh, you know he was in and out of injuries last year, but once again, he didn't play that great either last year. So they're not replacing him like the Tylen Wallace that we saw in his junior year season before his ACL tier. Uh Defensively, they have they've got the best safety group in the, in the in the, in, the, in the Big Twelve for me. Kobe Harvey, Pill, and, and Trey Sterling; those two guys for me are guys that I, I think are going to be high risers on draft boards. I think the, the, at the right now, I think each of them are. You know, second, late second rounders. I think by the end of the year, we're talking about maybe end of the first, early second rounders from both of those guys. Super talented. Trey Sterling is a ball hawk. Kobe Harvey Peel is the muscle. I really like the both of them on that back end. And it gives you confidence that, you know, in a, in a conference where the two best teams or, or the better teams are going to try to pass the football around in the yard to have those two guys on the back end. I don't see why Oklahoma State can't win more than eight games. My only concern is exactly what Nick was saying. If they drop games in their non-conference, it's an uphill climb because I don't think they're going to be Oklahoma. I don't think they're going to be Iowa State, uh, and and Texas on the road is going to be an iffy one for me. Uh, so with that being the case, that really does leave you to win nine games only. And if you drop one to you know if if you go to Boise State and possibly drop that game, or if you lose to Tulsa at home, now you got to go perfect in the, in the other games, and that's a little concerning for me. Um, and, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. But if they can go ahead and navigate the non-conference schedule well and come out of the first five weeks four and one at the worst, you know, five and oh at the best, this is absolutely a team that's going to get to that eight win margin, possibly nine wins when you look at the rest of the schedule. I'm just a little bit concerned, like I said, about the the non-conference and how they navigate it. But if they can do that well, this is easily an eight to nine win team.
1: All right, let's go over to TCU, and TCU surrendered 31-plus points in three of its first four games. They, of course, went one and three in those. They did tighten up to about 23 or less in all six remaining games, uh, five and one in that stretch, to finish six and four. Their DK win total is seven and a half. We have them at seven and five. Favorite to win eight. Town edges in 10, Nick. We have another question from our guy CK and he says everyone was hyped for Zach Evans last season at TCU. Then uh, Gary Patterson decided to split carries between four backs. Can we expect more of the same this season, or will they lean more on Evans this year? So uh, what do you think about TCU for 2021, Nick?
0: I think that Zach Evans probably will be featured a bit more uh, as the primary ball carrier uh they are you know they have some depth at that position amari uh DeMarcado is is uh, somebody who's played 25 games in in his past kendra miller has shown uh you know to be productive when given opportunities uh demarco foster was banged up last year but but i think is somebody that um you know uh, can get touches and, and probably should get touches but i do think that it is clear that Zach Evans is, uh, you know, the the most talented and, and the best player available. But as a true freshman last year, as somebody who didn't, uh, you know, get there early or, or anything like that, it's it's understandable that it took a little while, in my opinion, to, to get him uh, involved. But um, he's part of a pretty solid trio. I mean, Max Duggan is, uh, I think, somebody who, uh, when he's good, is, is very, very good, somebody who can – Uh, Hurt, you know, test opposing defenses uh, both through the air and on the ground. Maybe, you know, should be considered one of the better running quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, part of it, they split carries. Uh, Three running backs had, or four running backs, I should say, had 199 yards on the ground or more. But Duggan still led the team in attempts and yards and uh, basically more than doubled everybody's touchdown production last season. And and he was somebody who didn't start in week one because he had uh, some injury concerns coming into the year. So hopefully he'll be, you know, fully healthy the entire year and and will be able to uh, continue being as productive as he is on the ground, but, you know, also stress defenses through the air. And he's got one of the better uh, weapons at his disposal in the big 12 and Quentin Johnston, who's, you know, six, four, Uh, Close to 200 pounds, still a little on the thin side, but uh, proved as a true freshman, stepped in, started six games, proved to be, you know, a big play guy, Uh, not just a big target, but somebody who can stretch the field, make big plays, average 22 yards per catch, only found the end zone twice. But is somebody I think that, uh, you know, we haven't quite seen uh, his full potential just yet, but the offensive line, a little bit of a concern. Uh, that's going to be a factor in you know all those all for all three players uh, Evans Duggan and Johnston last year injuries were an issue consistency was an issue hopefully they you know found a, a centerpiece that they can uh, build around in new left tackle Obina Eze who is a, a highly rated recruit at Memphis has played a lot of football the last couple of years twenty five starts. Has played in 31 games in his career, has over 800 snaps in each of the last two seasons, and is somebody I think is is definitely on NFL uh, scouts radars. But you know, cement his spot at that left tackle position, get guys like Wes Harris, you know, fully healthy, and then other players who are uh, experienced to uh, you know solidify the the rest of that unit. And it sounds like Garrett Hayes, somebody who didn't play very much. Last year, but was a, a highly rated recruit coming out, one of the highest that they've signed at, at, among offensive linemen in recent memory. Uh, you know, put it all together. Hopefully, you've got a unit that can improve upon a team performance rating that uh, you know finished 78th overall last season. But at all, you know, all levels of the offense, uh, there might not be somebody who is proven to be a a superstar quite yet, but every level they are competent at worst and have the potential, I think, to be very, very good at best. And then, you know, haven't even mentioned the defense yet, as as you mentioned, Scott, after a kind of a rough start, uh, turned into one of the better defenses in college football. They led the nation in defensive success rate when you filter out garbage time and against only FBS competition. They ranked in the top 20 nationally in expected points Added per play on the defensive side, they were in the top 25 nationally in points allowed per drive, and they overall, uh, you know, performed quite well. By the you know, when all was said and done, they were 25th in our defensive team performance ratings, top 30, uh, both against the pass and against the run. And a lot of those big time players are back. They did lose uh, Trevon Maring, who was a second round safety, our Darius Washington, who You know, was highly rated when undrafted, but uh, you know that duo was among the best safety duos in college football last year. Garrett Wallow, a starting linebacker, was a fifth-round pick, but you know pretty much everybody else is back, and then they added some talented transfers to help uh, build depth there as well. Oshawn Mathis, All Big 12 edge rusher, 100-rated player according to our numbers. Uh, Kerry Coleman, who was a true freshman. Last season, uh, was incredibly, incredibly explosive guy coming off the edge. He still is, is, uh, or at least last I saw. Maybe there's an update. I need to check on what his weight's looking like now. But last year played at around 225 pounds, 230, something like that. I'm sure, he will continue to add strength and size, and that could be uh, your top, you know, pass rushing duo in the Big 12. Could at least give uh, some of the guys at Oklahoma a run there. Trevius Hodges-Tomlinson is one of the better corners in the Big 12, if not uh, maybe the country. A guy who was super, super productive last season. They added T.J. Carter, who is a starter at Memphis, who will uh, look like he'll start at safety after being a 44-game starter at corner for Memphis. So, you know, they've got – some star power on both sides of the ball and even you know even when there aren't uh standout players or or household names defensively uh even though a lot of those guys end up being drafted they still have a a tendency to to grade really well perform really well statistically so i'm i think we're a little low on tcu quite honestly Uh, i know there are some folks out there some other systems some other analysts who who uh, have them as certainly a top 25 team. I think I saw uh, in the uh, pick six preview they are ninth in in those ratings that you know that might be a touch high for, for my liking, but I think 36 is too low. I think TCU is definitely uh, on par with Oklahoma State should be in that top 25 discussion and they're always a team that you know uh, will compete, I think, uh, can go toe-to-toe with any team on their schedule. They you know, might not stack up from the, the pure talent ratings uh, standpoint with your Texas or your Oklahoma, but according to the way we calculate it, they have a talent edge in, in the 10 other games that they play. Uh, so they are a talented team. Gary Patterson and his staff do a great job of finding future NFL players who are, uh, you know, under recruited or, or uh, guys who've maybe fallen between the cracks, a little overlooked by some of the uh, other uh, blue blood programs or, or you know bigger names in the Big Twelve, and they turn those guys into NFL players, all American caliber players, and I think there are, are plenty left over uh, from last year's unit for this TCU team to be a, a very very dangerous one. They play a lot of games on the road, it seems like, I mean, five of their nine uh, non-conference games are on the road. That's something to consider. So the the schedule might not line up perfectly. Uh, They do have tough non-conference games against Cal and SMU, but this, this TCU team is a, a tough out every week. And though we do have them as an underdog in four games though we do predict and, and project five losses you know it, it, it always i think tcu in some contrast to what i was saying about oklahoma state is less likely to lose a game they're not supposed to uh and they are also a little more likely to win a game that maybe they're not supposed to so i i think i i do have to trust our numbers but i feel like our projection is a little low on TCU. I think they're closer to 25 than they are to 40, and I think they're closer to nine wins than they are to seven. But our numbers are, are for whatever reason, uh, just a little bit lower. Aren't, aren't quite ready to 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 go up to that level. But I think, especially if the offense takes a step forward with that kind of uh, you know trio of of Duggan, Evans, and Johnston, I think TCU is going to be a very very difficult team to beat in the Big Twelve.
1: And Xavier, I mean, uh, this TCU team, when you look at the schedule, like Nick mentioned, uh, they they are not favored in four of their games, uh, those games being Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Iowa State. But I feel like it's almost guaranteed they're going to win one of those, most likely against Texas. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- they're probably going to drop another game in there somewhere, too, that they are favored in because that's just the way that a lot of the Big 12 works, and a lot of it works that way because these teams are better than advertised, I think. But what do you think about TCU for 2021? Yeah, I,
2: I think this team goes as far as Max Duggan takes him. Uh, this is a, his year to take that next step. He has to. Um, that's really been my biggest concern with TCU over the last couple of years is offensively, as, as good as they are and as good as you know the talent is, Max Duggan just doesn't strike me as the guy that can get them to that point where we're talking about them possibly winning nine games, possibly even, you know, upsetting multiple of those teams that you just named Scott. And I think, you know, for Max Duggan, he has to take that next step this year. Uh, I do to answer uh, the guy's question. I do think that Zach Evans missed a lot of time last year too, due to the fact that he signed so late. You know, I think that's all that could also be a part of why he did not, feature as the number one back last year. I mean, he didn't sign until May. He probably also had to quarantine in the middle of a pandemic. So he probably didn't get on campus until June, maybe July, and then got into full-time reps, got into understanding and learning the offense, and then finally got into games last year. And that takes a lot. You know, when you don't get a full-on, you know, uh, what he probably would have started in somewhere like, you know, March or April to miss about two, two, two to three months, especially in college, summertime is a time that you really do see guys either get get into physical shape. So Zach M has probably missed uh, or, or it wasn't the feature back because of that as well. What I will say is that I like everything that Nick said, but eight wins or nine wins for TCU next year or to go over would be a lot for me to say. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I think that this team is a seven-win ball club, maybe eight. I think you're right, Scott. I think they drop a game that they're not supposed to next year. You know, and, and I think really the part of the schedule that I, I dislike the most is the fact that they have to play ten straight ball games. They have the earliest bye week in the Big Twelve. They, they, they their first bye week is September. Eight, their bye week, excuse me, is September 18th. They have to play ten straight games. That's hell. That's awful, to be quite frank. Um, and, and to do that after a year where you did not play a full 12 game season. Is going to feel like a marathon for a lot of these guys going into this year, and you know, on top of that, I I honestly think, Scott, the game that they may drop that they're not supposed to is against that is against Cal. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think that they may. I think that it's going to be Cal in week two, Uh, and if that is the case, that's going to be a long way to go. You're a Cal fan this year. Oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: You were in on Cal in the Pac-12 episode too.
2: Yeah, go listen to that. Uh, You know, so I, I, I definitely think. That you know, and I hate that for them that they have to play ten straight games. As far as the team, I think they'll upset. I think you're right; it will be Texas, unfortunately. And we'll get to them in just a second. Um, but and especially with that game also being at home, I, I think that that just it all makes for a game in which they're supposed to upset Texas in that ball game, especially when you have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State. Those three other games are also on the road. So that if that, if that is the game of they upset, I think it will be that game. Maybe Oklahoma State, but I'm leaning more so to Texas um, for that. So like I said, I think Texas te- – I think, excuse me, I think that TCU gets as far as Max Duggan takes him this year. If he is a guy that comes out this year and is looking like a 20-touchdown kind of guy, absolutely. This is an 8-9 to nine win ball club. But if he comes out like he has the last couple of years where he's a game manager, he has maybe a three-interception game in him, he looks rather concerning at times, he doesn't look comfortable in the pocket – this is a team that's going to win only seven games and it's going to drop more games than they're supposed to. Um, but, you know, I, I like Max Duggan. I think he's talented enough. He just hasn't put it all together yet. And I'm looking for his junior season, which typically with guys like him, their junior year is typically their best year. Maybe that is the case for Max Duggan going into there. And it's going to need to be for TCU to be successful this season.
1: All right. Let's go over to the big dog, my favorite team, uh, number 17. The number seventeen ranked. Stop it. Number seventeen ranked uh, Texas here. Uh, third in, in the Big Twelve as far as the preseason goes. And Tom Herman did lead my Longhorns to a seven and three record last year. Uh, but uh, and no loss was greater than eight margin, uh, an eight point margin. But it wasn't good enough, and he was replaced by Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, the DK total is eight we have them at 9 and 3 which looks like it's a bettable number favored to win 10 talent edges in 11 and we do have a question from Justin for me and he asked uh how do you how do i see the Texas quarterback competition playing out i'll let uh, i'll let nick speak a little bit uh first on this before i really dive in but uh nick what do you think about my longhorns for 2021
0: so I, I don't have a great, and uh, I think Justin is is mostly asking for a CFF thought on it, and and I don't have a great answer to that that would uh, maybe uh, go to his potential concerns because for me it it doesn't really matter. Uh, Casey Thompson is an 83 in our player ratings. Hudson Card is an 84, uh, so those are basically going to be treated. I think we're going to see them
1: both play too, Nick. I, I think, you know, uh, Casey Thompson is going to get first crack. You know, he stepped up when uh, Sam went down in the bowl game last year, came in, uh, had a little bit better of a, of a spring game as well. Seems to be the leader, but I think if there's any slippage from him at all, cards going to get a chance. So I think Sarkeesian is really going to see what he has on the roster and, and, you know first year coaches uh, tend to rotate players in and out a little bit more anyway so i think we're going to get see them both play but if i had to pick one to start more games it'd be casey to start sure sure
0: and and i get that and and uh i was impressed with what i saw from thompson in the bowl game uh last season so he is he is listed ahead of card in our uh depth charts but both are uh, counted as starters if you go over to the column uh they're both you know their their ratings are both in that starters column so for us you know we we treat them the same uh, i've seen some things read some things it seems that card is you know throws a, a prettier ball uh maybe as more upside as a passer uh but thompson you know maybe brings a little bit of a, a different element that uh even though he might not be quite as polished may give you a better chance to, you know, uh, have a scoring drive or, or win a game or, or, you know, whatever, uh, criteria you're, you're, you're hoping to, to fill there. So, um, it's, it's for me, I am kind of a wait and see sort of guy. I haven't really gone after one or the other very often in any of the CFF, uh, drafts I've, I've been a part of, um, but, you know, it is the big question because if they if, if Texas gets their guy at the quarterback position, um, they have an opportunity to be a very, very good team, uh, you know, if one of those first-time starters or if they find a situation where they can uh, use both to, to be successful, which is rare, but, you know, if they can figure that out, Texas is a is a player in the Big Twelve, and, and we talked about you know maybe I, I should have brought this up in the Iowa State portion, but how could Iowa State uh, not reach its full potential? Part of that answer is because Texas you know plays up to its full potential. Um, if if Texas can uh, you know if whether it's Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, if if one of those guys takes control of the team of the offense and starts rolling up, you know, good numbers in a, a challenging, but manageable early, you know, first four games, that Louisiana game is going to be tough. Uh, Arkansas is going to be tough, but those are both games that Texas should win, will be favored in and and by more than a a touchdown in both. Um, You know, Rice plays, uh, plays hard, solid defense, all that. But Texas, that's a game that they should win pretty easily. Texas Tech always gives, you know, Texas a little bit of trouble, at least in recent years. But uh, that's a team that Texas has a a big-time talent edge in. So, you know, you use those four games, and whoever the starter is, if they go through, have, you know, three 300-yard games, maybe your Big 12 player of the week, uh, one of those games and and just you know Texas starts to to really look like a potent offense, then they have an opportunity to raise their rating in our projections uh, four or five points. and and at that, you know at, at that point, we're talking about a 90 rated quarterback. And these are you know based on we call them VGR plus because it's a video game rating. You think about a 90 rated player in in Madden, that's a pretty good quarterback. and and so you know you're going gonna see, Uh, Texas creep up a little bit in our power rankings there is room for growth at Texas in our ratings that there isn't at Iowa State and that there's not very much of at Oklahoma uh, because Spencer Rattler's already in the mid-90s so uh, you know that that's a big question and it's it's one that hopefully they'll figure out sooner rather than later because if the quarterback is no longer something that that Texas fans or the coaching staff has to worry about, then this is a team that we say it every year almost, it seems, but it has the talent to compete uh, with Oklahoma, with, with Iowa State for sure. Uh, they rank 20th overall in roster strength. Uh, they rank 18th on the, on the defensive side of the ball. 26th on offense and part of that is just because they're a little bit lower at the quarterback rating than you know what we're used to but both of those guys are talented the unit as a whole is talented uh have the 18th highest average 247 rating at the quarterback position uh and that's you know the lowest by by a good chunk on the offensive side of the football running back position they're absolutely stacked top 10 unit uh, according to average, you know, raw talent rating, Bijan Robinson looked like an absolute uh, superstar last year and in, in a fairly limited role, but took on a bigger uh, part of the offense as it, you know, as the season progressed. And hearing all the right things from Steve Sarkeesian about how he's going to get, you know, uh, he, he's going to be a a uh, priority. Getting him, you know. X number of touches. I don't know if you put a number on it, but somebody who's going to get the ball often and in a variety of ways. So definitely like to hear that. Hearing good things about Keelan Robinson, the transfer from Alabama, a guy who can supplement Bijan Robinson in, in the backfield, but can also add another element as a receiver coming out of the backfield. I've always liked Rashawn Johnson. I, I think that he is is a uh, you know big back, difficult to tackle so they are hard runner yeah they're deep at that position um hopefully we'll get to see robinson you know play it at a full level all year but if they need to go to to number two or number three for whatever reason they're they're still going to be in in pretty good shape receiver we don't know who the number one is you know the the question earlier about mike woods being the number two at oklahoma we don't even know who number one is is going to be at texas Uh, Jordan Whittington looks good. Hasn't been healthy his first two years. Joshua Moore is very slight, (laughs) but uh, you know, has performed well at times. Trey O'Mears working himself back uh, to being healthy. The guy I've heard the most buzz about is uh, Xavier Worthy. The the, uh, true freshman who originally signed with Michigan and, and uh, found his way to Texas. Uh, So, you know, it, it's difficult to expect a true freshman to step up and be your go-to guy you have to think that that one of that group uh will you know will do it and and they at least have two or three guys who are going to be uh, playmakers but you know that's the other end of the quarterback situation as well is is they've got to uh, make sure that they've got some playmakers uh who are able to, to step up and and uh you know help that quarterback out, whoever it is. So hopefully they'll get that figured out in the first three or four games because the offensive line looks good. Top 30 unit last year. They did have to replace uh, Samuel Cosme who's a second round pick, but everybody else is back. Hopefully we'll be able to stay healthy. It's a talented group, top 10 in that average two, four, seven rating, 11th by rivals uh, in our pure VGR uh, plus ratings, average rating for the unit they're seventh, So it's a, you know, on paper, the strongest unit they've got is is that offensive line. Take the, the running back unit being the deepest. The wide receiver core maybe has the most sort of long-term potential. All you just need is is a quarterback to step up. Defensively, uh, last year and, and in years past has been the unit that's sort of underachieved. They ranked 40th in team performance defensively last year. Uh, the pass was worse than the run. They ranked 68th against the pass, 28th. Against the run, they also lose a very, very talented, disruptive uh, edge rusher in Joseph Osai, third round pick. Take one Graham, uh, maybe a little bit underrated by by a lot of folks, was a fourth round or excuse me, fifth round pick interior defensive lineman. Caden Stearns played a lot of snaps at safety. Also, he was drafted. So you know they're they're missing some of their better players from last year's unit that didn't quite play up to the level of what we would expect from a top 20 type roster but there's still you know some players back that that uh there's a lot to like and guys like the marvian overshone i love big safeties who sort of develop kind of grow out into linebackers and it sounds like he's uh going to be a full-time linebacker this year and, and it'll be interesting to see exactly what role uh he holds down but but i think he's got an opportunity to be very very productive both starting corners are back they are talented at safety and and nickelback even if uh you know the pure experience or, or uh, past performance maybe isn't quite what you would hope uh and, and then the defensive line was i think you know maybe the the, the strength uh of that defense last year they ranked 35th and our defensive line performance ratings, and, and both interior guys, Momo, or excuse me, Moro Ojomo, and, and Keandre Coburn, are back. Guys who played a lot last year. So uh, supplement with a few edge rushers: Ray Thornton, a transfer; Ovi uh, Agufo, a transfer. Uh, those guys are, are from LSU and uh, Notre Dame, respectively. So highly rated guys. Ben Davis, a transfer from Alabama, who's not quite full speed in, in fall camp yet, but was a five-star signee at Alabama, and and uh, you know Steve Sarkisian's seen him up close and personal the last few years, even though he hasn't really produced on the field. You know they're going to find, I think, uh, maybe not Joseph O'Sai's pure replacement, but they're they're going to find somebody to fill that role and and be good enough, I think, uh, to to keep. Playing at a top 40 type uh, level of defense. So, you know, again, they figure out the quarterback situation and and that offense, then this is a team that I think is going to play good enough defense that they're going to be, they're going to have a chance to win every game on their schedule. They are a big underdog uh, to Oklahoma, according to our numbers, two touchdowns. They're about a touchdown underdog to Iowa State. But they are, are, you know, pound for pound uh, from a pure talent standpoint, right on par with both of those teams. Maybe Oklahoma State has a slight edge in, in recruiting the last couple of years. But, you know, Texas Texas has uh, the talent to compete. And I, I do, you know, I loved watching Steve Sarkeesian call plays the last couple of years to Alabama. Two of the best offenses we've seen in college football history, arguably two of the best three offenses in college football history. He coordinated the last two years at Alabama. So I think they will be good regardless of, of who steps up and, and will be the quarterback. Uh, and and I like Pete Kwiatkowski performed really, really well. He's fourth in our defensive coordinator ratings. Sarkeesian's fifth in our offensive coordinator ratings uh, is his head coaching rating is top 30, but you know, I think, has the potential to to really develop into a a solid head coach it's just will it happen sooner or will it take a little bit i am on the fence but uh our numbers really like texas and you know we've been wrong on them before but you know double digit favorite or, or you know favored in double digits in our official model talent edge and the stats only model which loves Sarkeesian. That that's a big part of it. Uh, but yeah, we think that that the over eight is absolutely a, a bettable number. And and I think that Texas is legitimately you know a top twenty team with a chance to grow. And and maybe if uh, you know they get a couple of breaks and in that quarterback position turns into at least not a weakness, uh, if not a strength, at least not a weakness. I absolutely think this is a nine, maybe ten win team.
1: And Xavier, I know you're going to try to ruin my day here, so uh, go ahead and tell us what you think of my Longhorns for 2021.
2: <laughs> no, I won't be before you long. I'm, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you finish out this one since you know, obviously, you are our, our Texas correspondent, literally and figuratively, in a couple, you know, in a couple of uh, weeks here. So. Uh, no, I, I like Texas this year. I think the defensively is where they're gonna have to, you know, where they're gonna have to lean on, which concerns me a little bit with the way that they've tackled the last couple of years. However, I think that obviously new regime, new philosophy. And I think that there's and when a new regime comes in, as being a former player that's had a coach's change, when a new guy comes in, everybody starts at zero for the most part. And so there is a new mentality that I have to play my best every day of practice, every week. Or I could lose my job because I don't have the favor that I got in our game with the last guy. I don't have that anymore. So, you know, and it doesn't matter if I'm a senior, if I'm a junior, most coaches will come in and say, hey, I don't care who it is. If you're the best player on the field, I'm going to play you. And so for these guys who are, you know, who, who maybe thought, you know, coming into the year, if it was still under Herman, they had their job already wrapped up and tied up in a bow. It's not that way. And, and they will move. And, and you know, Sarkisian is now a, a Saban disciple. He will switch up whatever he has to to win ball games, uh, and, and so you know. And we've seen from obviously we saw that from Nick Saban by benching Jalen Hurts. He we he understanding that he now knows how to win ball games and making drastic decisions to do so midway through the year at the beginning of the year whenever he has to. Speaking of the quarterback situation, I think this is Casey Thompson's job to lose. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I watched the spring game; he looked really good. Uh, you know, I, I think that he's a guy. Who is a little bit more dynamic than a Sam Ellinger is, uh, a little bit more willing of a runner, uh, but I like what he brings to the table, especially with an offense that's going to have to grow with him this year. Um, you know, he's going to have to figure out who his number one guys are outside of Bijan Robinson. He's going to have to find out guys who he can trust, you know, week in and week out. And, and when you have a guy like that who, but and more importantly, that can trust his legs. You're gonna see some some probably some quicker growth from uh Casey Thompson than maybe you see from a guy who has to more be uh, more reliant on his offensive line to hold up and his receivers to catch every pass. Uh so I, I like Casey Thompson. I think this is his job to lose. I agree with Nick. I think it's gonna take the first couple of weeks, maybe for them to, you know, like you said, Scott, both PA people might get playing time. I will say to that though, the Louisiana and Arkansas are not the two games to do that against. I'll be perfectly honest, especially Louisiana. You do not want to risk being having a similar situation to what Iowa State had last year where, you know, you come into that game thinking, well, we're the most more ta- and more talented team. And, you know, we're playing at home against a, a sunbelt team. Louisiana is not your average G5 team. They're probably one of the top five best teams in the G5. So that's not a game that you're going to do that against. Uh Now rice. Yeah absolutely that's where you decide to go ahead and play everybody you know anybody that, that doesn't have time this that's the game that's where you know if you're a third stringer you're like you know what, if we get up by 40 you know I might have a chance to play uh so you know that's that's your game to do so but that, those first two games against Louisiana and then having to go to Fayetteville after what they had was a much better year last year than I think people expected you don't really want to shake it up a little bit too much you don't want to you know have you Scott in particular losing any more hair in those two ball games and you need to what I will and, and I'll finish on this I think Texas can absolutely win eight games this year. My biggest question is this: is whether or not they fall into a situation where they lose too many—they lose too many games that they're not supposed to—and in particular, the part of the schedule I'm looking at is right before it is right before their bye week. It's TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. That part of the schedule concerns me a bit. You just go off of maybe you know finishing three and one, maybe four and zero in your non-conference slash against Texas Tech, and do you go into those three games, which they've had trouble with TCU as you've talked about in the past? Oklahoma's a rivalry game, and then after a you know a super high and 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 playing Oklahoma in a rivalry game, maybe winning or losing, you then have to play Oklahoma State team where you still have to be locked in, and with a young offense. Are they going to be able to navigate that the way that they're supposed to, or do they, you know, just go all guns blazing against Oklahoma and TCU and Oklahoma State? They have letdowns, so that's my biggest concern with them going over eight games uh, and, and winning nine or ten. Uh, outside of that, their schedule bodes well for them. I think you know having Je- Iowa State kind of in the, by itself in their season. Um, heck, the next game is against Kansas, so they really can hone in on Iowa State for that week. Uh, so I really like that for them. But that three-week window, October second through the sixteenth, TCU. Oklahoma and Oklahoma state is where kind of Texas's season is made or, or missed for me.
1: And and I'll tell you this, you know, just being a Texas fan, I'm not going to be surprised by what happens with Texas, regardless of what it is. You know, I've seen Mm -hmm. this team win a national title. I've seen them lose to Kansas. So uh, I've seen pretty much all options of this team, uh, but you know, Working with a year one coach can be difficult. So I'm not going to be surprised if they drop one. Uh, but I wouldn't be if Tom Herman was there because that's just what they've been doing recently, which is why we're on a new coach, you know, to try to get those mistakes out of the way and uh, start getting back up the ranks to a dominant team. So I don't expect it to all happen overnight, but I do expect Sarkeesian to move them in the right direction. Moving over to Texas Tech, we have them ranked. Uh, seventy nine—the second lowest in the Big Twelve, uh, just ahead of not just ahead, way ahead of Kansas, but uh, behind everybody else here. Uh, six of Texas Tech's ten games were decided by a single possession in twenty twenty. I know that because they should have beat Texas, including each of the Red Raiders' four wins during a four and six season. Uh, they uh, we have them projected to go five and seven. In 2021, their DK number is also five. Favorite to win three, but talent edges in five, Nick. So what do we think about the Red Raiders for 2021?
0: Yeah, earlier when we were talking about Kansas, I I kind of circled Texas Tech, and, and not only because they are ninth in our power ratings, but uh, because Kansas had that extra week to prepare, um, and it just so happens, you know, Texas Tech plays TCU the week before. That is always sort of a game. You know, I feel like TCU is one of those opponents that – uh, you know you you feel the next week if if that makes sense uh, so that's that's not necessarily a great draw for TCU but you know even though I, I think that Texas Tech is is uh, at least in you know ha- has reason to respect Kansas and and maybe uh, you know uh, not fear Kansas but but That's a game that uh, could give them a little bit of trouble. I still feel relatively optimistic about Texas Tech, believe it or not. Um, You know, Tyler Shuck, new quarterback, transfer from Oregon, was a starter, was the full-time starter uh, for the Pac-12 champion. Oregon Ducks last year, and and yeah, it looked like he lost uh, his grip on the job a little as, as the season went on. Uh, certainly in the bowl game, and and yeah, Oregon, uh, there there was a, you know they were they were somewhat fortunate to have an opportunity to play for the Pac-12 championship. But still, you know, he led Oregon to a Pac-12 championship. Uh, is somebody that uh, seems to at least intrigue NFL? Decision makers. I, I know there were some of those way too early mocks that uh, at least one had him as a, a potential first round pick. Seems silly, but you know, he, he is 6'5, 220, uh, maybe even bigger now, uh, and somebody that was really highly rated coming out of high school. So uh, I think that there is reason to be optimistic that he can mm-hmm. elevate. Texas Tech's level of, of quarterback play. Uh, even if he didn't play at a, a super high level last year, he, uh, I think, showed flashes of, of somebody who has, you know, has a lot of potential at that position. Uh, they also brought in a transfer uh, wide receiver, a guy who performed really well in the slot at Troy, Kalen Geiger, somebody who, you know, has been very, very productive, over his career to complement who is I think maybe one of the more underrated receivers in the Big Twelve and Eric Uzzikonma, Uh, somebody who you know put up six production points last season was the go-to receiver for uh, Texas Tech had thirty more targets than the next closest guy, uh, and you know six touchdown catches led the team by a, a big margin seven hundred and fifty. Receiving yards led the team by a big margin and still averaged uh, 16 yards, 16 and a quarter yards per reception. So he was a guy that, you know, defenses knew was going to get the ball was going to be targeted uh, more often than not, and still was able to perform at a pretty high level. Now he of course did suffer an injury, had surgery on his leg this spring, but all recent reports are that he's 100% ready to go so that's that's uh, good news. Sir Roderick Thompson has similarly you know shown flashes, also uh, had a, a surgery this spring. I haven't seen as much of a, a, a clear-cut update on him, but as soon as he is fully healthy, uh, he's you know somebody that, that gives them uh, the ability to be you know not one-dimensional on offense as well. I think he's somebody that has shown some potential in the past. So Texas Tech, from a skill position standpoint, is uh, in a pretty good spot, I think, offensively. And then, you know, the offensive line ranked 41st in our O-line performance ratings last year, bring back an all-Big 12 center, bring back four returning starters. And though they did lose, uh, you know, their best – lineman, Jack Anderson, who was drafted in the seventh round, able to replace him with TJ Stormont, well-traveled, but somebody who, uh, you know, has played, played a lot, has played uh, over 1,200 snaps the last two years, nearly 1,300, made 19 starts uh, at a couple of different programs. So, you know, I, I think Texas Tech is uh, going to be solid offensively. They brought in Sonny Cumby from TCU to to be the offensive coordinator, have a, a new offensive coordinator there. It is a unit that you know definitely had room for improvement. They ranked 88th last year in offensive team performance overall uh, in the the you know outside of the top 50, both uh, passing and rushing. But I think that the personnel is in a decent spot to to be. Uh, a team that we could expect to perform uh, a, a bit better in those statistical uh, categories this year. I, I don't think this is a team that's going to be triple digits in EPA per play like they were last year or, or in the 90s in success rate or uh, yards per pass attempt or points per drive. I think this is more of a you know top 60 type offense at least with, with the opportunity to be you know, top 50 or, or something in, in that range. Uh, defensively, you know, we, have uh, heard a lot in, in, years past the, uh, defensive struggles that Texas Tech has had. I won't quite get on my soapbox as much as I did with Oklahoma, but Texas Tech has made some strides defensively. They ranked 64th last season overall, uh, you know, did struggle. There wasn't a, a standout, uh, side of the football, but, uh, still a, a, a You know, defense that at least showed – has shown some steady improvement since Matt Wells has taken over. The linebacker group is among the best in the Big 12. Uh, We have him ranked 20th overall, 4th in the conference. Uh, You know, Colin Schooler was a guy who transferred in last year from Arizona, 100-rated player just because he's played forever and and racked up so many uh, stats. But, you know, he he was solid. Uh, Rico Jeffers might actually – you know, technically be a little bit better, maybe a better pro prospect, but uh, is a guy who's a 99-rated player. Uh, Krishan Merriweather and Jacob Morganston both are, are back, and that unit is deep as well. But the secondary could be, at least in our ratings, uh, the best in the Big 12. Uh, you know, they are they are uh, number one in the conference as far as our uh, position strength at defensive back, number nine nationally. Uh, and, you know, that's in part because they've hit the transfer portal really, really hard over the last couple of years. They do bring back two returning starters, and DeMarcus Fields and Eric Monroe won a corner, one a safety. And they lose their highest, you know, drafted player. Uh, Zach McPherson was a starting corner last year. So it's not, you know, that, that they're uh, in a perfect spot. But they brought in Malik Dunlap, Marquise Waters. Rayshon Williams, and Reggie Pearson, all power five transfers, all with some experience, uh, you know, playing at a, at a pretty high level. Um, Williams came from UCLA, Waters from Duke, Pearson from Wisconsin, Dunlap from NC State. So uh, they are, I think, going to be a, a solid defense, at least in the back seven, and a, a an offense that, you know, doesn't have a major weakness. Might not have a a you know major uh, like a top superstar or, or something like that. But all you know, offensive position groups are are in a, in a decent spot. The back seven on the defense is in a really good spot. If that defensive line that you know finished sixty eighth in our D line performance ratings, ranks seventy eighth in our position strength. If that unit takes a little bit of of uh, you know makes a little progress it's not unheard of that, that Texas Tech could uh, cobble together enough wins maybe to to make a run at a bowl. Houston is the opener, technically a neutral site game. It is in Houston, but it's an NRG stadium. Uh, so right now we treat it as a pure neutral site game where there's no home field advantage uh, given to Houston. I could see an argument to maybe give them a, a point. Uh, but you know, with that, we do have – Houston favored by a little more than a field goal, but that's a winnable game. An FCS opponent, Stephen F. Austin, in week two. FIU, absolutely winnable game in week three. You know, starting 3 0 is not unheard of. Texas, I just mentioned, could be a 10 win team, certainly, but Texas Tech's got, you know, no reason to fear Texas the way that they've played them the last couple of years. And you're against a first year head coach in that Big 12 opener. Yeah, we have Texas favored by what twenty-two right now, but uh, still, it wouldn't be uh, earth-shattering if if Texas Tech were to to find a way to upset Texas in that game. West Virginia, who we'll talk about in a little bit, that's a winnable game. Kansas, a winnable game. Kansas State, a winnable game. Baylor, at the end of the season, a winnable game. You know, I mean, you'd have to have everything sort of uh, go right, but I could I could potentially see a scenario where Texas Tech gets hot and, and kind of builds on uh, some of the potential and, and improvement that they've shown the last couple of years. I'm not ready to, to run out and, and proclaim that they will make it to a bowl game. Uh, but, you know, that, that five win, uh, win total posted at DraftKings is within range. The schedule is tough. I mean, it's a 26th in our strength of schedule ratings, uh, we do only have them favored in three games. Our stats only model only has them favored in three games. The talent edge model uh, is five, as you mentioned. So none of those go over the five. Uh, so it's, it. you know, I couldn't in good conscience bet the over or tell anybody else to bet the over. But Texas Tech, I, I think, you know, there's some potential there for them to be a sneaky bowl contender at the very least, you know, I think they could be a team that jumps up and and you know surprises somebody, beats somebody they're not supposed to. Maybe it's TCU, uh, maybe it's Oklahoma State. Both of those games are at home. Uh, you know, hard to to pinpoint it exactly, but there are you know there are a half dozen winnable games on the schedule. It's just can they pull off a slight upset? Can they avoid? Uh, a slight upset and get to six wins. It's it's going to be difficult, but I, I, I do see a path.
1: What do you think Xavier? Because uh, you know, Texas tech, like we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, played really close with everybody last year. So uh, they, they seem to play up or down depending on who their opponent is, but uh, maybe we can see a step from them. What do you think?
2: Yeah. Give me the over. Uh, I think that you know this is a team that can absolutely get to six wins. I think they start off three and um with their with their non-conference schedule. It is not going to be an easy task whatsoever, but I think they are able to start off three and I think when you look at it from there, I think they can beat uh, West Virginia on the road. Uh, I think they can beat Kansas on the road. That gives you five wins before your, your bye week, and yeah, it gets it gets pretty pretty rough uh, on the back end of their schedule with Kansas State, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma State being for their last five. But I think they can, it'll come down to that last week of the season against Baylor. I think in that game, that is where I see them possibly getting number six. Uh, I think up until that point, you know, you know, and I could be wrong. They may beat Kansas State at home. That's very well possible for them to do. Uh, I think that's a good part of their schedule there where they aren't having to play the the, the, the tougher teams, understanding that the tougher teams are, down to, are, are further down the road when they do play TCU, Kansas, uh, and Kansas State in a three-week stretch, that might be an opportunity for them as well. Uh, I mean, this is this is a team, when you look at their schedule, and, and more importantly, I think I trust their quarterback situation this year. I have not been quiet about it. I love Tyler Shuck. I think he's a guy who's going to be a, a sleeper coming into the draft process next year. I like his size. I like his mobility. I like what he brings to the table, and he's a winner. And I, I think that that's necessary at Texas Tech. I think this is a team offensively that has been very, very good but has just not been able to get over the hump for a couple for, for a while now. And I think when you get a guy like Tyler Shuck in there, he has something that pretty much everybody on the team doesn't have and that's an, and that's a you know a winning pedigree. And he, he that when that kind of guy is leading your locker room, especially with a team like Texas Tech, that has really felt like they've probably been on the cusp uh, of just breaking into that, you know, that bowl team or that middle part of the of the Big Twelve for at least, uh, you know, at least a year now, uh, maybe two. That you really look at their schedule last year and you go, mm, I think a guy like Tyler Shuck could have helped him maybe get over the hump against Kansas State when they lost to him by ten. Maybe helped him get over the hump when they lost to Oklahoma State by six. Uh, maybe helped them get over the hump when they lost in, in overtime to Texas. So when, when you look at that, I, when you look at that from a leadership standpoint. I think that Tyler Shuck is a guy that can is going to be somebody that they can lean on in situations where, you know, he's been there before. You know, not necessarily maybe in the Big 12. Well, not in the Big 12, excuse me, but he's been in big games. He's he's not going to shrink in the moment. And he led the team to a Pac-12 championship, you know, that, that you know, was expected to win. Yes. But at that point in the year, Oregon was the underdog coming into that game. And so I think that, you know, and he's going to carry that mentality of leaving Oregon and coming to Texas Tech. He's going to carry that underdog mentality I think he that he will need to to have this successful year. I think this is a team that can win six games. I wouldn't be surprised, be perfectly honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the six games that they need to before their bye week and then lose all of their last three. I just, you know, this, I would not be surprised if Texas Tech were to do that uh, and were to come into their last four games, like, you know, six and four or I'm sorry, like 6-2, and two, and then go 0-4 in their last four games with Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. I wouldn't be surprised about that whatsoever. Uh, I love what they're coming from an offensive perspective. We talked about it last season. Uh, pretty much every week it felt like that, you know, you can't sleep on Texas Tech offensively. That's the only thing you can't do. Defensively, you know, I think they'll be better, and if they can be incrementally better, then the offense is there. You know, if you're scoring, you know, you look at their schedule last year, and they have a couple of games here where they score 40 plus points, and their defense gives up just as much. If their defense had to get have gotten what two more stops, they win those ball games. So, I like Texas Tech to get to six games. I love Tyler Shuck being their quarterback coming into this year, and I don't see why they couldn't do it.
1: Last team up in the Big 12 here is West Virginia. We have them ranked at 37. And a 24 21 come from behind victory over Army in the Liberty Bowl capped a six and four season. uh, Really a bounce back season for them in Neil Brown's second year at West Virginia. Uh, DK's win total has them at seven. We have them at six and six, though. Uh, Favorite to win seven, but uh, town edges in nine here. So, uh, Nick, why do we see them with uh, town edges in nine, but only uh, a six and six record for West Virginia?
0: Oh, it's it's uh, a good example of something I think I alluded to a little earlier and and maybe in some of our previous shows and just haven't gone into a, a big explanation of it. But yeah, when we're when we're building tables, and yeah, they do have a talent edge in nine, uh, you know, but that number at times can be slightly misleading because they have a and and talent edge, if if you haven't heard an explainer of it before or if this is your first time with us, is a projected point spread that we've created using a similar uh, calculation to our official model but it only takes into account numbers related to talent so our roster strength pure talent uh ratings from 247 sports and rivals and, and things like that is try to you know isolate which is the most talented team on the field and you know, the point spreads are, are similar to where some teams are favored by a touchdown to, you know, double digits. And, and uh, for example, against an FCS opponent, West Virginia has a, you know, would be a 54 point favorite against FCS Long Island University. their their week two opponent. If talent were the only thing that matters. But in other games, yeah, they have a talent edge against Maryland of two and a half points. They have a talent edge against Virginia Tech. Of three and a half points texas tech and baylor four and a half to to you know four points iowa state talent edge favored by one point if talent were the only thing oklahoma state less than a point so yeah they you know those all add up but you know there there are a lot of toss-ups there where yes they do have an edge in talent but it's, you know, pretty, pretty thin, or or at least, you know, if we're talking actual win, uh, projected win percentage, those are a lot of 55-45 or, or 60-40 type games. So games that could certainly go one way or the other. And and that, in a lot of ways, I think it, it describes West Virginia kind of as a whole. I mean, they they do have talent. They have Uh, Experience. They have an experienced quarterback, Jarrett Deegee, who's been a multi-year starter at West Virginia, was a multi-year starter at Bowling Green before that. Letty Brown, all Big 12 caliber running back, took a big step forward last season as as the West Virginia uh, rushing attack, even though they only ranked 98th in our rushing team performance. uh, They were one of the two worst rush offenses in the country in 2019, so jumping up 30 spots. Is pretty significant, and Letty Brown, uh, you know, carried a, a pretty heavy load, and, and I think is capable of, of continuing that. They've got a deep receiving group, they might not, you know, similar to other teams that we've talked about, might not have that standout go to number one guy. But Winston Wright Jr. Is, has been uh, mentioned as an all uh, Big 12 performer in the past. Bryce Ford Wheaton Sean Ryan returning starters Sam James has had uh, had a big 2019 uh, didn't you know perform uh, super well last year but all those guys are back plus Mike O'Loughlin, uh, the the starting tight end so they're you know solid there and and think that they'll be pretty good the offensive line, has struggled, especially in the run game, but three starters return. And they add Doug Nestor, who is, I think, the uh, second highest rated O line transfer in our player ratings this year. Only Kane Madden, who uh, was, you know, All America caliber uh, player at Marshall last year, transferred to Notre Dame, I believe is on- the only uh, player who is a higher rated individual player. Uh, who transferred from one-two to another than Doug Nestor, who we've penciled in as the starting right guard for West Virginia uh, this, this upcoming season. So, you know, every level of the offense, solid. Uh, Brown is, is I think pretty good, but everywhere else, at least you don't necessarily see a major weakness, but they also, you know, is that an offense that you think is going to stand up and be an obvious, mismatch or, or create obvious mismatches against a large number of big 12 defenses probably not so it's it's a team that is is you know uh good but maybe not necessarily great or a, a unit on offense that is good not necessarily great defensively last year they were great on the field they ranked third nationally in our overall defensive team performance ratings uh, they were top 10 uh defending the pass and they were top 25 defending the run they bring back two all big 12 caliber players up front in Dante Steele and Akeem Mesidor they did lose uh an undrafted free agent starter up front in Darius Stills they also lost Tony Fields the second who was a late arriver but ended up being a standout performer at linebacker um so you know that that Second level of the defense, there's still, uh, you know, maybe a a little bit of of, uh, concern who's going to step up. Is that unit going to be able to stay healthy? Because they've had some guys who, you know, have a lot of potential in Vendarius Cowan, specifically an edge rusher transfer from Alabama, who just hasn't been able to, to stay on the field enough. Lance Dixon, they brought in as a transfer from Penn State. Will he work out as a you know, full-time starter? We do have him penciled in as a starter. Josh Chandler, Samito uh, is a you know a guy who started 16 games in the past and played 400 snaps or more in, in at least uh, the last two seasons. But somebody's going to have to step up, I think, and solidify that group. And then the secondary, which was a big-time strength last year and returns uh, some key pieces, also lost some very important pieces as well. Tykee Smith transferred to Georgia, Uh, Deshaun Miller transferred to Auburn. And and if both of those guys had returned and all five starters in the secondary had returned, you know, they might've had at least a top 25 group in our roster strength numbers. And then we probably would have been talking about them as, yeah, they're, they're top 25 or whatever, but I think they're underrated. Uh, So, you know, probably a lot of folks based on the performance that they put together, both, you know, with our eyes, but also uh, statistically, we're we're really, really excited about that West Virginia secondary. So those two transfers, I think, are significant. But they return three starters. Uh, Alonzo Adai was was an all-Big 12 performer as a transfer, FCS transfer last year. uh, He and Sean Mahoney are, are a pretty good, Safety duo, probably one of the, the you know three or four top in the conference, and, and maybe top twenty uh, nationally at that spot. The cornerback uh, position is you know the, we're going to have to see some new players step up. Uh, only Nick Troy for, uh, Fortune, who, who is a returning starter, the only corner that we've got who played more than uh, fifty snaps last season. So that position. I'm a little bit, you know, worried about it is potentially uh, a trouble spot that opposing offenses are, are going to be able to take advantage of. They did bring in Charles Wood, a, a transfer from uh, Illinois State to potentially push Jackie Matthews for a starting spot there or Daryl Porter. Uh, but that that I think is is the area of concern. West Virginia did have one of the best defenses in in the country last year, and there's reason to believe. You know, especially with the defensive line, and and maybe if the linebacker core works out, that that front seven will continue to play at a very very high level. I have a little bit of a concern on the outside and uh, you know in the secondary. But West Virginia is a solid team. They are a top forty team. Uh, they are a you know middle of the pack uh, Big Twelve team in our ratings, and as a result, a lot of games could go either way. They play two pretty tough non-conference opponents. Uh, Maryland was much improved last year. Virginia Tech, less so, but has you know has a lot of talent, uh, as we've talked about. They West Virginia is favored in all three, but by you know less than a field goal. Both of those are winnable games. Both of those are losable games. They open with Oklahoma in Big Twelve play on the road. That's you know, that's tough, but then you get Texas Tech, Baylor, those are winnable games a week off before TCU. You know, then then maybe the schedule starts to pick up and, and you're uh, in in position to get toward that, you know, six, seven, eight wins is very, very possible. Uh, there's a wide range of outcomes in my opinion. We settled on six and six, uh, our projection, is you know six point two, but the numbers do kind of like West Virginia. We we as you mentioned the talent edges, but favored in seven. Our stats only model based on last year's results uh, carried a lot of weight, especially on the defensive side. But favored in seven there, so I can understand being tempted to go over. Uh, but I think if I were to to you know if I would prefer to be one way or the other, I am I'm glad that we're on. Six wins as opposed to seven. I just don't know that West Virginia. Yeah, they are talented and do have talent edges, but enough of those are uh, very, very comparable that I just have a hard time expecting West Virginia to to uh, win every single time they are a slight favorite. If that makes sense, I think that you know they travel so many miles, they play a tough non-conference. Uh, schedule. They play a lot of the best teams in the Big 12 in the second half of the season. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. But I just, you know, I'm not ready to buy in quite yet on West Virginia being a top tier or, or, you know, uh, top half of the Big 12 type team. I think they could get there. I think they could, uh, you know, push some of those top teams, maybe even knock off one or two. But it's tough for me to believe they're going to be able to do it week in and week out. So right now, getting back to a bowl seems absolutely feasible. Seven wins, absolutely possible. But I think that might be uh, the ceiling. And I think six wins or or fewer is probably the more likely result.
1: Xavier, what do you think of West Virginia? I mean, like Nick said, uh, this uh, this team holds a lot of weight in the Big 12 just because they can make or break your year, and I've had it where they have broken Texas this year before. So uh, they are uh, a tough team to travel to, in particular, and um, just a, a pretty solid roster. But uh, what do you think? They're going to get over the hump, or are they going to be right where we expect them to be?
2: I, I think they'll be closer to where you guys expect them to be. I, I think with the, I think I don't think West Virginia is just there yet where they're you know, reaching the Orange Bowl heights that they hit when I was when I was closer to a kid. Uh, I'm not sure that they're ready to do that just yet. Uh, I like Jerry Deggie. I think this is a guy who, once again, I think this is another guy who can take the next step. I mean, we've seen him have an amazing year. His sophomore year in, in, in college football, 2,600 yards, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Even last year was a really good year. I think in a full season last year, we might have seen his first 3,000-yard year um, you know, and he only had single, t- he only had single interceptions, uh, single digit interceptions and 14 touchdowns. This is a guy who absolutely, I think, can take that next step and can carry that offense on his back. Uh, from their schedule perspective, I like it. Uh, I, I think it's competitive enough in the non conference, but not over to, to not be cupcakey where they get blindsided when they get to the conference. But I also don't think it's too difficult to where I don't think that they navigate it well. Um, they get Virginia Tech at home, which I think is a positive. Uh, that Maryland game could be a bit of a trap game in week one. Maryland's a tough game to play at home or excuse me, away. And we all know how well Maryland likes to play against non-conference opponents, Scott. Uh, so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I you know, I, I think that when you look at uh, West Virginia this year, I feel like the schedule really leads to them having a pretty uh, good first half of the year. I think their second half of the year, it gets a little bit more, di- a lot more difficult, excuse me, after the, you know, so they're going to have to find success in those first, six games and they're gonna to have to at worst be three and three when they get to that bye week because to play at TCU Iowa State Oklahoma State and Texas and have to go to Manhattan uh Kansas in that second half of the uh, year is gonna be really really uh it's just it's just a tough uh stretch of games there and you obviously you get a reprieve at the end of the year with Kansas but to play those five teams in, in you know with no bye week back to back to back to back to back And then the two games that you would think are more winnable games in TCU and Kansas State, both being on the road as well, and we know how well those teams both play at home, that's just a really tough part of the schedule. I think once Virginia gets to six wins, I think they're going to have to – I think they get to six wins. I'm not so sure they get to seven. Uh, They're going to have to scratch and claw their way to get to seven wins. Um, It also means that they're going to have to have a pretty flawless run in their non-conference schedule, and I'm not so sure that they do that. Do they slip up against Virginia Tech? Do they slip up that first week against Maryland? If they do any of those two things, uh, it's going to be a struggle for them to get to seven. I'm much more comfortable going with the under and going with six. Uh, that helps out my team that I said I was going to go over in Texas Tech going for that bowl game and going for six. Uh, but, yeah, I think I- I'm more comfortable saying that West Virginia is a six-win ball club. Now, Garrett, now, like I said, if Jared Deggie takes that next step, absolutely this team can win seven to eight games. Uh, but for me, they lost too much defensively. Uh, to to be able to lean on both sides of the ball, and, and for me, I think that they just don't have enough on the defensive side up front or on the back end for me to uh, to, to suggest that there will be a you know eight win ball club.
1: All right, well, that is going to wrap it up for the Big Twelve for us here. Uh, what's next up, Nick?
0: We're done to our final two, right? So uh, left is the Big Ten uh, next week, and we will take a full week to get there. Uh, this go round a lot of a lot of stuff going on i've got to travel you've got to move uh, yeah could use a little rest i'm sure uh so <laughs> your- we're we're uh taking a, a full week off then we'll get back to the big uh big 10 and uh wrap up with the sec uh the following week so we are we're getting getting toward the finish line
1: all right and we will of course have a uh you know, uh, a show before the season starts as well to talk about uh, the, the games that are going to be happening that uh, weekend of, of the 28th. So uh, yeah, go ahead, Nick.
0: And I will be releasing to our Patreon supporters. If you're a tier two patron, you have access to all this stuff anyway, in the the team profiles, all three models update automatically and and we'll show you who's favored and all three, as we're talking about and by how much. Um, But I, I, weekly in the season, always release, uh, you know, specific write-ups of these are our, our, you know, who we have favored and by much and in which uh, model and especially the ones that, that have been good to us are the, when all three agree. Uh, And I will go ahead since we, you know, for the most part are are basically ready other than a few potential injuries here and there or or other things in, uh, fall camp, but I'm, I'm pretty much ready to release those next week. So if you haven't signed up, uh, patreon.com slash CFB winning edge, all of our patrons will get access to uh, that write up each week. So if you're a tier one supporter, we get that as well. If you're tier two, you can look at that, uh, you know, yourself right now. So, uh, but those will be ready to be released next week. So the week of August, what is that, 17th, 16th, something like
1: that? So there you go. And all right. So remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.